Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the USCfootball.com podcast family, the Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits. I am your one star host, Chris Trevino. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Right before I hit record, I said, I'm ready. Gerard responded, are you ready for all this jelly? So I have no idea what's going to happen on this episode of Composite Two-Star Recruits. Gerard, how are you doing? I'm doing lovely, Chris. How about yourself? You know, I just wanted to point out that uh, Lincoln Riley missed the first two days of practice this week because he's been battling pneumonia. He's sick. Gerard didn't think he was going to be able to do this episode because he doesn't feel great. And so I kind of talked him into doing this, but like Lincoln Riley has been under doctor's orders not to perform practice the first two days, Gerard has been placed under doctor's orders not to cook too much in this episode. I know that's the whole entire theme of this show is to let Gerard cook. But he can't fully cook. He can only cook like a limited amount, like a ramen level amount. He cannot cook a Thanksgiving meal. So, Gerard, you are on a cook count, a cook cap, if you will, for this episode because I have to protect you. I have to protect the star of the show. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. I got. I want to rewind to Lincoln Riley. Uh, so it's confirmed that he had pneumonia. Correct? Correct. Per a USC spokesperson today, they finally, I mean, it's been defined as illness over the last couple of days, but today they actually identified it as something and pneumonia was the cause. And now you are probably going to go and tell us about pneumonia because I feel like you have had <laughs> pneumonia just no, and how they will trace back to, to mosquitoes or some sort of uh, chemical you are allergic to no um it's interesting though because first and foremost i am i'm not feeling great i'm just a little lethargic because i got double vaxxed so it's not because i'm sick although i am kind of still bronchial i told you guys it was like three weeks ago i had a bit of a cold and a sore throat and that sucked and then i had a cough but we still did the podcast and the cough was whatever i just you know kind of put it on mute if I had to like go into a spastic cough. It was strange though, because I had the cold for like two days, kicked it, 
was fine. And then it was like a week and a half later, I started to get this cough and it was like not a big deal for a few days. And then it just started getting worse and worse. And it got to the point where like you're sleeping and you go into these fits where you just keep coughing until you kind of get up out of bed and drink some water and like, just, you know, like just settle yourself a little bit before you can try to go back to sleep. Um, but I rocked some NyQuil. I was, I was hitting the 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 Mucinex DM because I'm a big believer in Mucinex. It usually helps me. You know, the D is the head congestion one. Can't get your Mucinexes mixed up. The D is the one behind the counter. It's the orange pack. That's the one that has the good stuff in it that if you've got a sinus infection of any sort, go for that one. It works really well. But then if it gets into being a cough and chest congestion, you want to go with the DM, which is the green pack. So I was doing that, but I, was, I didn't really have mucus. It was just like phlegm, not to be you know too crass here in, in <laughs> detail about it, but it was just this weird thing where I just kept coughing. I mean, I still have a bit of a cough. Uh, my nephew is the one who started it. He was coughing and coughing and coughing. I'm like, dude, what's the deal? I even took a COVID test just in case. Cause I was like, I might need to go to urgent care. If like, I can't kick this freaking cough. It's finally started to die down though. I'm not really taking anything at night for it anymore. I still cough now and again. It's usually, you know, when the air comes on and it's that dry, cool air, it'll get to you a little bit, but it is an interesting thing that's going around. And it's so you odd. sympathize. You sympathize. Yeah, it's it's. It, here's the weird thing about it, though, and this is you know, I, I obviously didn't have pneumonia. Knock on wood. Thank God. Um, I didn't really feel sick with the actual cough. It was just this cough, and I, I didn't really feel bad with it. It was just a cough. Like that's why I was just kept trucking along. Like I didn't have any issues doing podcasts, writing stories, and doing whatever, going to games. I was like, wow, it, it's it's something you got to kind of look, be careful with, because if you've got any kind of inflammation of your lungs, it can lead to pneumonia, which is basically just fluid and it doesn't, you know, doesn't expel. And uh, it's it, it can be a, a big problem for you uh, very quickly. So, yeah, um, it's interesting. You know, he he had that and uh, it's, it's not a covid thing. It's not the flu even. It's like something else. It's a. New thing that I'm sure they'll have a vaccination for very soon, and we'll be uh, doing that yearly. So, yeah, today I am ironically uh, just you know kind of lethargic from from the shots. I got my flu shot, and I got the latest COVID shot, which I don't want to go into that because I know there's people that are like you know anti shot and why are you getting a shot sort of thing and whatever. But um, nevertheless, uh, it does sometimes make you feel just a little a little drowsy, a little. Uh, like you just tired, like you ready to go back to bed, sort of thing. So that's where I'm at right now. But I'm bringing the energy. Oh, anyways. I wasn't ready for that. I, uh, I I did not realize the jelly in this case would be talking about phlegm. So here <laughs> we are to start this podcast. It should be an interesting one. You know, when the talks of maybe not doing a podcast today, I pointed out, Gerard, we have to do a podcast because we never skip a commitment because USC did. Get a We're commitment. committed to commits, Chris. We're committed, We're committed to the to commits, commits here. That's a, a good unofficial tagline for this podcast. Committed to the commits. USC did pick up a commitment, which will obviously be our cold open. We have another official visitor that is being added to the weekend of the Washington game that we will talk about. We had a new crystal ball report to talk about. Obviously, I have to get Gerard's thoughts on Utah beating USC once 
again and the attendees in attendance for that Friday Night Lights. I was at a game. We're going to talk a little bit about all this like smoke around Lincoln Riley that's been going on, conspiracy theories, a little bit of that. And then we have a handful of questions to get to. I'm not going to throw a bunch of questions at Gerard, but we do have a handful of questions to get to. So should be an interesting show. Again, I don't know how much jelly talk will be throughout the remainder of the show. Ready, Chris. I'm ready. Uh, he's, I'm ready. He's ready. He's going to be asleep by the mariachi break, <laughs> and we'll figure it out from there. Before we get into all that, of course, a quick shout out to the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser. You know her, you love her. One of the top real estate agents in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales. That is some serious NIL money. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com, S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. See all the listings and postings that she has going on with her and her team. Number one real estate agent. Go with her. I highly recommend. Gerard, cold open time. Pretty simple for us. That is a commitment from Los Alamitos four-star composite cornerback Isaiah Ruben. Ruben. I don't know why, but I want to say it like that. Six Roll foot one, hundred. Roll that R like you're a real Mexicano. Isaiah Ruben, six foot one, one hundred and seventy pounds, four-star on the com- excuse me, three-star on the composite, number four fifty-four overall, number thirty-six. Cornerback prospect, a four-star cornerback in the 24/7 Sports rankings. That's our ranking. Excuse me for it's the misclarification. Number that 28 matters. cornerback in the country. Number six, number 26 prospect in California. That is a 2024 out of Los Alamitos by way of uh, Desert Pines, I believe, out there in Nevada. He actually transferred in mid-season last year, so it was kind of a kind of a weird. Uh, deal there, but Greg Biggins had put in a crystal ball for him a couple weeks ago, and we kind of previewed his commitment going into in last week's episode, and we were confident that USC was going to be the school. I was actually at the commitment ceremony, but he chooses USC, giving USC another defensive back, another cornerback in this class. Gerard, how do we feel about the pickup? How do we feel about the pickup? Well, it's a pickup that we've talked about uh for multiple weeks a pickup is a pickup actual pick announcement so uh, we don't want to retread over everything i think there's one interesting aspect to his recruitment talking to greg biggins and greg has talked to him recently you've spoken to him as well i think Jarrett perez our other mm-hmm. staff writer has also spoken to him the thing that greg put in there as a tidbit when we did our future impact piece, which nobody had mentioned to me is that USC has been in conversation with him about playing safety as much as playing corner, kind of a hybrid corner safety, which is kind of for me, code safety, maybe playing some nickelback, but about six foot and a half, six, 170 pounds. It's very interesting because USC has two other safety commitments and they're similar in terms of their profile and their build uh, you've got marquise gallegos who we know and love he is 6'1 175 pounds and then you've got jarvis boltwright who is about 6'1 175 pounds so smaller coverage safeties these are not the pete carroll kevin ellison taylor mays tj mcdonald type of safeties these are guys that are 
more the type of players that you can put in maybe man situations and coverage, but you may not get quite as much near the line of scrimmage. So it's an interesting kind of uh, it's the evolution, I guess, of the defense in terms of personnel. And certainly if there's a comparison or a replacement that is the most obvious in that group of defensive backs, it's Kalen Bullock. USC is going to lose Kalen Bullock Mm -hmm. this next year. He's going to probably jump into the NFL draft. And, you know, Kalen Bullock is about 6'2", 100, and now he's probably like 190, 200 pounds, but he came in at about 175 pounds. They used to call him Sticks because he was so skinny. But he was a guy Soaking wet, he was 175. Yeah, he was a player that was coverage first. And, you know, I will say this, this year he has definitely developed a bit midseason. There were some instances early on uh, in games where you saw him either trying to tackle someone in space or coming up near the line of scrimmage, and he left a lot to be desired. The talk that I've heard from NFL people is that there's a lot of teams looking at him as a cornerback, just a flat-out cornerback, not a safety, because they don't think he's physical enough to play in the NFL and be a guy that has to drop into the box or blitz or what have you. Now, you know, certainly single high safeties exist and there are certain schemes where you're not going to necessarily put your free safety up near the line of scrimmage, but there's a bit more interchangeable type of schemes when it comes to your free and your strong. And I think these days in football with split coverages, you're not getting the, uh, prototypical, or I should say, maybe classical, uh, free safety, strong safety, where you know your strong safety is built a little more sawed off. He's probably a little bigger, uh, a little closer to what you would see as a Sam linebacker. Whereas your free safety is a guy who's going to be single high and he's going to be playing in coverage and he's going to be a bit more of a ball hawk. So because teams are trying to use safeties and have them be interchangeable and also bringing a lot of nickelbacks into the situation because a lot of base defenses these days are five defensive backs. Um, You're seeing a kind of turn where guys that are maybe not super fast and have the super good hips and are the kind of guys that, you know, agility wise, you can put them in mad coverage and you don't need cover two. You don't need a safety over top to guard a receiver. If those guys can't sort of check all those boxes, you put them at nickel or you put them at safety these days, as opposed to uh, trying to make it work maybe as a boundary corner. So this is that's an interesting aspect of this with Isaiah Rubin that, you know, we've been looking at him through the prism of cornerback and, and how we would he play as a cornerback. Now, JP went and shot a few of his games and we actually put a compilation of some of those games into isolation film uh, Friday when he actually commit, or excuse me, I think it was Monday when he actually commit, or was it Friday? What it was the twentieth? That was it a Friday. Was Friday. It was yeah, Friday, Friday, sir. And 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 if you watch that film, you see he goes against uh, Jordan Anderson, who is uh, committed to Oregon from Newport Harbor High School. He was a guy that played at Milliken. You saw him a bunch last year, Chris. Uh, we saw him in the seven on seven uh, circuit. He he's a really good receiver he, he's a very good pure receiver not necessarily like a speed demon type of guy but really good routes good moves really good hands not the biggest receiver in the world but he's very much sort of a flanker possession type of receiver and 
you know, there was some trouble that Ruben had against him and some of the deep balls. And so you're looking at that and you're going, okay, well, you know, Jordan Anderson is probably like an 11, 100 meters guy, you know, probably not sub 11 and you don't want to see your guys in man coverage getting beat one-on-one, but that's as a cornerback. When you start to look at him as a safety and he's playing more in space, that's like a totally different position and your eyes are different and just how you're approaching uh, your pass coverage is going to be completely different. So that's interesting and, and it changes the way you look at this pickup and certainly, you know, Isaiah Rubin does have some utility. He's also a very good return man. And we have mm-hmm. a, a couple of um, film clips of him actually returning kicks. He, I think he had one, a touchdown in one of those games. And so, yeah, it, it's an interesting pickup. And certainly when you think of the pickup being a safety and you're, you know, putting him in that room instead of in the cornerback room. Uh, where you've got Marcellus Williams already committed and you've got Braylon Connolly already committed. And it seems that it, it's interesting to note that USC, they're getting smaller at cornerback, but they've tried to push to get bigger at corner. And I don't know if this class is really reflective of that right now. I mean, Braylon Connolly is only about 6'1-ish. Uh, he's, 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 he's on the, the, the high side of six, one ish, which, which isn't small as a cornerback. And then Marcellus Williams, he's, I don't know, five, 11 and a half, maybe. Uh, I think he's listed as six foot. He might be listed as six one. I don't know, but I, I, I know just, you know, looking at him, I think he's five eleven. He, I think he's five eleven on the side. Yeah. Five eleven. I think is a, is, a, is a decent, uh, read on, on his true height. They're not big cornerbacks, but USC has been recruiting big cornerbacks and they've been trying to get big cornerbacks. I mean, they've gone after other guys and they've trying to be getting taller at corner. So I think it kind of reinforces that uh, in, in this defense. And I know there's plenty of critiques about this defense. I mean, we're not going to beat that horse to death, but it's the kind of having run support from the cornerback position and having containment more from the cornerback position than ever before for defenses and your safeties having to be better coverage guys. And so you're seeing again, personnel wise, there's a little bit of an evolution there uh, with the guys that USC is bringing in and Ruben and Gallegos and Boatwright. None of those guys are the big sort of, again, Pete Carroll type of guys that you're bringing down in the box are all really coverage guys first. I hate to use the term like, Plan B, anytime we talk about a commitment, but definitely plan B energy. His his recruitment was kind of interesting. Picked up an offer, didn't really seem like a, a major target. Didn't hadn't heard about them kind of communicating. And then he pops up at USC's home opener against San Jose State. Talked with him after a game, following that game when I went to go see him, or I went to go see uh, him or Los Alvarez, Tim View to see Helaman Kasuga play and you know, he said, Dante's been talking to me a lot more. There's been a lot more communication. So it just felt like USC was ramping up to maybe get back involved with him. And then sure enough, pops up another game. USC in his final schools. Then the crystal ball comes in. So USC definitely moved late on this one. And I, I do find it interesting that he has not yet taken an official visit to USC yet. But Isaiah Rubin committed to the class. I also found it interesting that he did not go to the Utah game or and that he committed before the Utah game when he had Utah as one of his finalists. So just just a lot of interesting things going on with his uh, recruitment over these last couple months. USC was recruiting him harder 
than any of those schools that he was really choosing from. I think Oregon it kind of backed off and looked at other cornerbacks, and I think even Utah was already kind of moved on and looking at other defensive backs at that point in time. So, yeah, normally if it was really a choice between Utah and USC, wouldn't you wait until after that game to kind of see what happens? One game doesn't necessarily steer a decision, but it's still if you're going to commit like the Friday, the day before, you know, it would be easy enough to just sort, ah, I'm going to wait, you know, maybe a couple more days. Um, you mentioned something that was, you know, kind of interesting with, again, the approach to recruiting defensive backs. And I think moreover, the recruiting locally. And that was something that I asked Greg about just because, you know, we were talking and I'm like, you know, Greg, I'm sure that Trojan fans would want to hear from you and your perspective on recruiting because it's, it's regional and it's national regardless of what USC is doing specifically, which it's, it's again, a, a different perspective. It's a unique perspective to my perspective or your perspective where we're talking to kids that are USC targets and USC targets really only. So yeah, there's sometimes you get other information and you see other kids and what have you. I mean, certainly there's overlap there, but with Greg, it's, it's different. You know, he's taking a, a bigger approach and talking to different people than we are. He felt like recruiting was going okay for USC. He really didn't see the concern that I think a lot of Trojan fans have expressed with the recruiting process. You know, he's also not a big proponent of put up the fences. Um, He sees the value in recruiting locally because that's the lowest hanging fruit usually but is also like you need to go out and get the best players, period. It doesn't matter whether they're local or not. So I don't think there's necessarily that view of, okay, USC is not getting the best players. If you look at like the top 20, 25 kids locally and you see where they're going to school and you see, you know, USC has got some of those guys, but they're, they're really, you know, there's quite a few of them that are either leaving the state uh, or just not committed to USC. And mo- most of them are leaving the state. It's not like they're going to UCLA or Cal. They're, they're leaving the state. They're going to Oregon or they're going to Texas or they're going somewhere else. Uh, so he he didn't see um, – he, he, there was no panic there, you know, in his opinion. He did feel, though, that USC should have a top 10 recruiting class every year. And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if you're not getting the local guys, you got to get the guys from out of state then. You know, if you're looking and you're trying to take best player available and if that kid's in Texas or that kid's in Georgia, cool, go get that player if you think he's better than a local player. But you got to get him. You got to land that player. If you don't land either, then there's some issues there. And that's really why USC has slipped to 18, 19 uh, in the recruiting rankings. I'm not 100 percent sure where they're ranked today because that always changes depending on what other schools get commitments. But that's sort of where they were floating around, and that's not quite the level that you expect uh, from USC, particularly when you're coming away from an 11-win season and there's you know so much hype and so much enthusiasm coming into this season about the football team. So that was interesting just to talk on the heels of Isaiah Rubin uh, committing, and he likes Isaiah Rubin. He thinks that that's a, a very good pickup, and again – um, a more interesting pickup, perhaps, because you're looking at him more as a safety 
than you are just a flat out boundary or field corner. They are currently number 19 high school ranking for the 2024 cycle. So just inside the top 20, Gerard, just inside the top 20. Yeah, they've got to be better than that. And, you know, the portal is there and certainly that supplements things to a certain extent. But the narrative has always been we're only using the portal in these initial years to kind of turn the roster over so we can get some quick help. And then we want to sort of establish uh, our culture and establish uh, the the system that we have through the high school ranks, which has been what other football programs that are in the college football playoff that are competing for college football playoff berths year in and year out are doing. You know, the Georgias and the Ohio States, uh, they are putting the high school football recruits as priority and then kind of trying to cherry pick certain positions uh, for the transfer portal. And USC's kind of almost been the opposite of that. It's kind of like going after, you know, multiple players in the portal and they're just getting guys here and there uh, that are going to be early contributors. And so it's it's something that we just kind of have to wait and see how they finish this year because it's very easy to get ahead of ourselves when you do have a flip season potentially coming. Now, USC, when we talk about flip season, we're always weighing that with how successful they are on the football field. What product are you putting on the football field? And if you start losing games on the football field, you're probably not going to be able to play your way into a lot of different recruitments. The momentum you're going to build is based on the bowl game you're potentially going to play in, uh, the trajectory of the program going up. And certainly, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, the 11-win season built expectations to a 12-win season. And a conference championship berth, which is still possible, uh, albeit I don't think anybody's really got that expectation now of the football program. It's the progression of just getting better, you know, and that's difficult because maybe that 11 win season was a little bit of, I mean, there's games there which they could have lost. There were games there that they struggled and it, it kind of goes both ways, though, because there's games like the Utah game in Salt Lake, which USC could have and maybe should have won outside of some bad officiating. I mean, you could very much argue that they could have and should have beat Utah at home. And that sort of changes everything. You know, they were very competitive in every game that they played in, maybe outside of the conference championship game where you get Caleb Williams hurt. But this year, you know, you've got one game there that sort of hangs out there and that's the Notre Dame game where they weren't real competitive at the end. Uh, but they were competitive against Utah and now everybody's kind of saying, Oh, they're going to get blown out by Washington. You're going to get blown out by Oregon. I, I don't anticipate that. Uh, we'll see though. Uh, again, you know, if you go ahead and you beat Washington and Oregon and you lost to Notre Dame in Utah, I don't I don't know what the trajectory is there in terms of playing yourself into recruiting battles. I think if you beat Oregon head to head, that's just going to be really good all around. I think there's there's a, a negative in that when it comes to the recruiting front, because there is so much overlap with USC and Oregon right now with recruiting. So that would be really good. How much traction do you gain? Can you actually steal some commitments from Oregon? I don't but, know. But but isn't that a quick fix for Oregon in their recruiting? They just throw a couple extra in the bag 
they get the bag a little bit heavier. Oh, yeah, to, to make them forget about losing to USC. What, Isn't that what, just the answer? What bag are you talking about, Chris? What do you mean? Five families. Oh, oh, the McDonald's bag. No, listen, all kidding aside, uh, I think, um, you know, the, there's another thing here is, you know, we talk about Oregon and the recruiting head-to-head and losing the code of fields to Oregon after he had commit to USC. And, you know, I think that ship has sailed at this point. Dakota Fields is, you know, now on Twitter. He was poking fun of them. Yeah, but you know what? Trojan fans have been going after him too. He posted some benign things on Twitter. And, you know, there's some some people that like to get on there and they want to go back and forth with the 17-year-old kid. But the interesting thing here is, and again, we're still talking about Isaiah Rubin, is that the assumption (laughs) – is so Isaiah Rubin is a replacement for Dakota Fields, but with them talking to Isaiah Rubin about playing safety, then you're like, well, was Dakota Fields being also kind of recruited as a safety? He never said anything about that. It was always, uh, I I don't want to say assume, but it seemed as though he was looked at as a boundary corner, maybe perhaps a field corner, but I think from what we've seen from him lately, he looked more like a boundary corner, a big body, um, was a bit out of shape when we saw him at the camp. Um, but, you know, very tall and and certainly from a body standpoint, the type of cornerback I was talking about, getting bigger at the cornerback position, a guy that can actually uh, have some impact on the run. But here we're talking about uh, Isaiah Rubin potentially playing safety. So I don't know. You said something to the effect that, you know, we don't want to necessarily classify or categorize plan A's and plan B's and plan C's, but, you know, we'll also just be completely real with you. Yes, USC was going after Zayden Brown. They were going after uh, Dakota Fields. They, they had their guys, and they were going after that pool of talent first and foremost during the summer. Braylon Connolly was a part of that group uh, who isn't ranked super high, but he was one of the first cornerbacks. In fact, he was the first cornerback that they brought in on official visits in May. So kind of shows you that they liked him that much. It seemed, though, the the first group was certainly Xavier Brown, uh, Marcellus Williams, and Dakota Fields. And we said going into June, you want to get two out of three of those. That's that's going to be successful. That's a, that's a good defensive back class. You sort of can build around that. And USC had a, a, a shot at maybe getting all three at one point in time because Xavier Brown – really enjoyed his official visit enough to USC, the four-star cornerback out of modern day high school, that there was there was some back and forth there uh, to the very end with Alabama. Uh, but ultimately, he picks Alabama, and then you lose Dakota Smith, uh, excuse me, Dakota Fields, uh, a few, uh, like a few weeks later. I mean, it was, you know, basically a, a month later uh, where he decided to, to go back to Oregon. So, um it's interesting to kind of look at the defensive back class kind of as a whole and where all these pieces fit into and potentially, you know, USC still going after another cornerback. There was some talk like, you know, six was the magic number. And so they could still, you know, try to make a move on some other players. Uh, but at this point, yeah, you're, you're kind of in your second cycle where you're going after, some guys that you weren't initially going after during the summer. You know, you pivoted at this point. Last year, it was like Warren Roberson. Um, They had, you know, a few different cornerbacks and and safeties that they brought in during the summer. And then it was, okay, we got to offer some more guys because it looks like we're losing ground on some of those 
first wave players that we were going after. And this is kind of similar. And, and again, that's one of those things that, uh, you know, that's where the frustration lies with Trojan fans. Cause it's like, you know, we want to go after plan a and get the top players. And that's what Trojan fans are used to seeing from the coaching staffs when USC has had any amount of success on the field. And there's been that sort of preseason hype coming into the season. I think that launches us into our next talking point, which is a new official visitor has been added for this season for the November 4th game against Washington, which as of right now is shaping up to be a top five opponent for USC coming to the Coliseum. That is Shreveport, Louisiana, three-star defensive end slash edge Gabe Relaford, who you should be familiar with because we have talked about him when USC first offered him back in late September, a Texas A&M commitment, 6'2", 255 pounds out of uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, like I mentioned, is a four-star in the composite, number 277 overall, number 22 edge prospect, a three-star in the 24-7 sports rankings, number 30 edge so USC getting another front player for this weekend. And we mentioned last week that Fairfield defensive tackle Jericho Johnson, who Gerard, we would consider a plan A for USC. It's just been a slow developing plan A, finally getting him back on campus for his official visit. Didn't take one in the summer. And then, you know, sort of a another plan B kind of option in Gay Relaford, a late pivot on the board, late addition to their recruiting board during the season, going to get him on campus. Maybe this was an offer that, or this was an offer that came out around the same time as the Jalen Harvey was still kind of deciding, and this felt like a pivot to Relaford when they made that offer. So November fourth, shaping up to be a pretty important weekend in terms of having a couple of uh, big defensive linemen on campus for official visits. Yeah, I'm here in USC shooting for four official visitors that okay, weekend. Okay. So we'll we'll see how that shakes out. But Rutherford was trying to find a date, and certainly, as you mentioned just right now, Jalen Harvey was really like the plan A that USC was working on, and that had kind of gone back and forth to some extent. I think Penn State was in the driver's seat for the longest period of time, but now it's Okay, <laughs> we can certainly go all in and green light Relaford. Uh, similar body, 6'2", 6'2 and a half-ish, 250 pounds. Um, maybe a little more of a strong side guy. We kind of have to see how he develops in terms of body and what have you. I mean, he could end up being an interior guy when it's all said and done when you watch his film. But uh, a player that you know USC had been working on to try to get on campus. So it, it looks like it's going to be – uh, that Washington game. He doesn't have any other official visits set yet, but there's a couple other schools that are working on him. Tennessee is another school uh, that's probably going to get an official visit from him. And obviously we've talked about the decommitment from Texas A&M. Relaford still committed to Texas A&M. Draylon Miller, the four-star wide receiver from Silsby, Texas, who just decommitted from Texas A&M, is another potential visitor uh, coming down the pike here at some point in time, uh, a lot of confidence that he will be back on campus soon enough. And so we'll see. This is an interesting game, though. I think 
these are, you, you know, the, the prospects themselves are, are one consideration in terms of like who are they going after to try to get on campus. But then it's also the fact that you're playing against perhaps the best team in the conference at home and the confidence that you can go out there and you can play a good game and be able to recruit off of that performance is interesting. And so we're going to see, you know, how that goes. I, I, I f- have felt for a while that USC matchup wise is actually, they are confident that they can beat Washington. There's some things that I've seen from them and things that I've seen from Washington that have given me that vibe, gave me that vibe even preseason. And was it them people, nearly choking away to Arizona state? It's, no, I mean Arizona State has has created problems for them in the last two years. They lost to Arizona State last year, and then they they really tripped up against Arizona State this year. So there's there's just some things matchup wise. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole to start and talking about a, a game that's not until a couple of weeks. But nevertheless, uh, I've kind of seen this coming where there was a greater confidence in people would realize against Washington, even if USC was undefeated at this point. I think. You know, people would still say, oh, man, that Washington is going to be a really difficult game for them. Um, and not to say that I don't think it's going to be a difficult game. I I, I kind of see what USC sees. And, and I guess I understand why they feel like they're going to have a chance there, particularly now because they are such an underdog. And I think that's been a little bit of an issue for Washington to some extent. Um, I don't think USC could have predicted that they were going to lose to Notre Dame and they were going to lose to Utah. But I think that that actually helps a little bit, judging by how Washington has played some teams. They are a team, if there's a big weakness with them, uh, just kind of like overall is in terms of their focus. They do seem to be a team that sort of it plays to their level of competition a bit. So, you know, that's something that uh, you're going to have to look out for. Uh, but USC's got to go up and, and beat Cal, and that's going to be – a tough game, you know, it was a tough game last season. And I, you know, I've said this before, there, there's no wake up games for USC. There's no, that the talk like Notre Dame game was a wake up game. is like, listen, if it, the wake up game was back against Arizona state. And if you didn't wake up after that, then you are what you are. And that's, you know, we've seen every team subsequently, how they played kind of similar to how they played them last year uh, outside of, you know, how they played Notre Dame, but you know, you're playing on the road now better quarterback, et cetera. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving forward into uh, this weekend, and this is going to be another tough one against a team that uh, – another bad offense. You know, they played – this is going to be the third offense they play in a row that's just really mediocre offense, but a good defensive team. And so, you know, we'll, we'll I'm sure talk about that in three things we're looking for, but uh, this is sort of uh, a week-by-week thing where – the the momentum and what they can do on the recruiting trail, especially with flipping commitments, that that specifically, you got to have some buzz around your program. You got to make these recruits feel like you're the up and coming next big thing. And if you're losing games, it's just, just you just got no juice there to be able to flip commitments. I mean, USC didn't really flip many commitments and really get a lot of buzz even last year. You know, they got Elijah Page, which was kind of earlier in the season, but they kind of struggled at the end of the year to be able to make a big push with guys that are already committed and gone to other schools. And there were some names that were floating around out there, but they just didn't get those guys on campus. Certainly you're coming off two losses. 
if you're not playing in the championship game, if you can't beat a Washington or an Oregon, you're flatlining. The, the recruiting class is what it is. It's not really going to get a whole lot better. you got to beat one of these teams. you got to do something that shows like there's there's a step in the right direction. You know, there's that progression. And that's not just, I mean, the fan base obviously wants to see that. They, they want something to hang on to and say, well, you know what? We look bad against Notre Dame. We didn't finish the, the game well against Notre Dame. We really, really could have beat that Utah team. That was a rough loss, but we had it. We were right there. Um, you go and you, you say you beat Cal. Maybe it's a close game. And there's going to be criticism like, dude, we should be blowing these guys out, whatever. But you're able to beat Washington or Oregon. I, I think that is is a little bit of a needle mover. You know, we always talked about Texas A&M beating Alabama and how they were living off of that on the recruiting trail for the last two cycles. Texas is doing that now. Texas is living off that, you know, beating the king in Tuscaloosa, even though Texas turns around, they lose to Oklahoma. And Texas is just they look like they were very, very beatable in just the last game they played, which was um, forgetting off the top of my head. Who did who were they playing? It wasn't Kansas. It was not Oklahoma State. UCF. Uh, no, Texas played uh, Houston. Oh, Houston. 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 Yeah, they almost Sorry, they really could have should have. Yeah, they oh they should have could have lost to Houston. So they're still they still look a little bit like Texas uh, sometimes, uh, but nevertheless, you know their 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 recruiting is just you know it's just it's rolling right now. It seems like you go in and you beat Alabama again. It it's that perception. It's box scores. It's these kids that all they know is Alabama is great. Alabama has been great for a long time. Great football, national champions, blah blah blah. And that's just sort of, you know, what they hear from their uncles and from their stepdads and their dads and the, the whole like their coaches. It's like, oh, Alabama football, Alabama football. So you go and you beat Alabama. And it's like Alabama is not that great this year. Doesn't matter. It, that's not the perception. The perception is not they beat a pretty kind of like average to above average Alabama team. It's they beat Alabama and Alabama has been national championship you know team for hundreds of years now and you know what I mean just like that sort of over dramatic sort of thing that's that's like what recruits get that's that's what they hear and it's uh, so much different than what the fans see and uh, even you know what we see as reporters and we're looking at this thing uh, under a microscope it's totally different from a recruiting perspective and so um, one of those games where you beat a Washington I think it truthfully being Oregon would be much more impactful on the recruiting trail, uh, even though Washington is the better team this year right now. I mean, Washington beat Oregon head to head at home. Um, you would say that Oregon has been better for longer and the perception there from the layman, like super casual, which is basically most recruits like super casual in terms of, you know, following college football weekly and look out. Yeah, beating Oregon would 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 move the needle more, you know. Now, if you lose to if you lose to Cal and you lose to Washington, and then you beat Oregon. I don't know, you know, it, it's probably a wash to some extent. Um, but it's still sort of like okay, you beat Oregon, like you haven't beat Oregon in a very long time. That beat Oregon on the road. Yeah, that would be still I think significant, and that that's kind of where we're at right now with I think this rebuild, which is in year two. You know, you too. And we have uh, people that have kind of lost track of that a little bit uh, because of the 11 win season. And again, we've said it before. It's not like Lincoln Riley hadn't fed into that. It's not that he 
he didn't sort of say, basically, we're not going to win or we're not going to wait to win. You know, we're going to win now. We're going to be good now. I think we can, you know, play for a national championship very early on. And, and he kind of just, you know, kind of fed into all of that, too, uh, where he could probably been a bit more diplomatic and said, you know, I think we've got some talent on this team to win some games. It's going to be a process and sort of feed in more into this is going to take a little longer and we're not just going to be able to snap our fingers. And, you know, from a cultural standpoint specifically, because that is something that it just doesn't happen in two years. There's a lot of issues there coming from the Helton years, coming from the Sarkeesian years, the sort of uh, inmates running the asylum and just the, just the culture of no accountability. That is the thing that USC at the core has to change. And then if you've changed that and you get those fundamentals down, then you start building like your coaching philosophy and what scheme works with what personnel that you're recruiting, so on and so forth. So, you know, all of the chatter that comes from the coaching staffs during spring ball and fall camp, all of the talk that you get from players, oh, it's so much different now. And guys really love each other in the camaraderie. They don't really understand that there's there's more that goes into it. There's much more that goes into it to be a championship football team than, you know, a couple years of 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 just talk. And so that that's that's still a little bit of a wait and see, you know, if Lincoln Riley can do that because he didn't have to do that at Oklahoma. Oklahoma was a winning football program year in and year out. They had some down years, but you're talking about like eight wins instead of 11 wins. Um, There wasn't this, okay, we need to completely revamp the culture, how people approach things, how they do things, uh, what they really believe in and put faith in. Uh, And that's, that's had, you, you had to go down to the foundation of this football program at USC and change those things. And if you're not changing those things, and then there's not going to be a lot of success going forward. It's it's there's going to be cracks in that foundation you've just built on top of. Gerard, very quickly before we move on to our next topic, Gabe Relaford, who are you making his host? An edge rusher or the fellow Louisiana and Taka Curtis? I don't think you would have a freshman as a host, period. I think that's just a general Unless there's a personal relationship freshmen host, there. though. Freshmen have hosted. Yeah, I don't like it, though. I, I don't okay, think Okay, okay, you're on record. That's fine, that's fine. Enough about the program. They haven't been on campus enough. They don't know their ins and outs off of campus maybe as much. So I would want somebody who's been around a little bit and you trust that they're going to be responsible and they're going to show him what he needs to see and not to say like, Oh, well, you can't, you know, trust Tackett Curtis. I just think Tackett is swimming right now and he's just trying to get himself into a place where he can uh, focus on games. And, um, you know, certainly the defense as a whole is probably that way, but I, I would, yeah, I would link him up with somebody that was an upperclassman. It's been around a little bit and uh, can show him just not what USC is about, but what Los Angeles is about. Um, one of the greatest, student athlete recruiters at USC's ever had football was Alex Holmes tied in with uh, the Pete Carroll teams. And Alex knew his way on and off campus. And he was really good at reading recruits and kind of getting a feel for them, but he knew um, everything, you know, on and off the, the campus. And that was a big reason why he was so successful. I mean, it was like literally who, who hosted him, who, who hosted the, Alex Alex Holmes, uh, 
mm, a Trojan. Trojan, baby. Trojan. And uh, USC hasn't had that really uh, in, in, in recent years, maybe not even so recent years. I can't remember of anybody who's been a host. It's this name constantly comes up like Alex Holmes' name came up back in the day. But it, one of the things, again, it was just not like football. Not talking about the coaches. Oh, I got a relationship with uh, Roy Manning. I got a great relationship with Sean Noah. You know, that kind of stuff. It was more like, hey, man, this is L.A. I, I've lived here in Southern California. Um, I know my way off campus. I know how to, you know, really uh, make the most out of my college experience and show all kinds of different sides of USC and living in Los Angeles. And that's the one big advantage that, that USC has. It's just Los Angeles. There's so much to do. So if you, you know, Tackett doesn't, he's only been here <laughs> since the spring. He He's pretty new to stuff. I'm sure he doesn't know all the haunts and all the places to go. And you know what I mean? So I I would definitely go with the, uh, the upperclassmen, defensive linemen. You want me to like name a name of a guy that would really – know the spots i mean i don't i don't know they're all though all the russians are yeah i know out, out of uh, solomon bird is probably the best solomon bird he's got a whole family he's not he's going home to to, to mama and his kids Jamil he's not, <laughs> not from la jamil muhammad's not from la but jamil muhammad has the biggest personality in that room so i would guess maybe jamil muhammad yeah, I, I I was thinking of him. Um, you know, Anthony Lucas. I don't recall. I think he's originally from Southern California, though. I I feel I can't remember. He's from Texas or he's from LA. I don't think he's originally from Arizona, but he's been out here a bunch. Um, you know, he's Corey Foreman. Um, <laughs> maybe 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 not. I don't know. I mean that that would be more along the lines of like, okay, guy that's been here around and seen some things. I mean, it doesn't have to be. A rush end either it, it could be you know a linebacker it could be rajon davis it could be some other people but i know there's pit holes there that you got to kind of watch out for because hey listen you know the team's not playing real, real well and you want to make sure that you know you don't have anybody that's potentially disgruntled hosting your recruits that's not going to help you very much so i mean this is all part of again winning Right. This is all part of that process of if you're producing on the field, you know, the, the locker room is happier. Everything's just rolling. But when you start losing and the expectations are that you should be winning, it just it's hard. It's it's hard to get it going on the recruiting trail, uh, just like it's hard to get it going in the headlines and on the message boards. And trust me, I know all about that. The last two weekends, I've spent more hours on these message boards, um, banning, deleting and talking to people and trying to, you know, rein in uh, the the frustrated uh, fan base, and it's uh, it's difficult, you know. The the the, the higher expectations, man. Um, when you start losing, it just like it it's like the end of the world for some folks. You know, they're really emotionally invested in the team, and they get super frustrated, and they just want to vent, and they want people to hear them, and they they want to see some change, and um, that's a whole nother subject for, I mean, we could do a podcast just on the peristyle moderation and all the stuff that's gone on over the past two weeks. I don't know uh, if I'm going to subscribe to that, that listening to that podcast, but uh. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's wild, but it's one of those things that again, you know, it kind of, uh, is somewhat reflective on the recruiting trail as well. And people will say, Oh, you know, it's just, uh, trolls you know the trolls are out and they're 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 
post it on the listen man it's you, you can see it on twitter <laughs> like there's there's plenty of people i mean I, I made a joke the other day about matt liner if uh matt was uh posting on the peristyle under an assumed name and uh, just you know instead of tweeting just posting on the peristyle there would be a lot of people calling him out as a as a troll <laughs> you know because i mean it's you know, so, uh, even former players you know they've, they've they've vented they put their frustration out there and I don't, I mean, I understand it. It's not, you know, there's some folks that just think like, hey, you know what, you got to just um, sort of bite your tongue and support the team no matter what and and what have you. And I, I can respect that. But then, you know, when you go after other people for, for complaining and being frustrated because they expect more, uh, man, it's, it's such a clash. And it's, uh, it's something that from a moderation standpoint, man, we have seen some stuff over the years, you know, going back from sanctions, uh, the Lane Kiffin era, which was really, really divisive for the message boards, um, probably more divisive even than the Clay Elton era, because I think the Clay Elton era, most people settled in on that. He, there were not a lot of folks that were like, yeah, you know, this guy, I, mean, I think he's going to figure it out. Even after 2016, uh, which was sort of that false year, that false hope of like, wow, okay, I mean, could he have been the right pick? I mean, that doesn't seem like, you know, there's that the process of uh, promoting him or, or anything that went into it was was done properly. But maybe they just somehow fell into this and, it, and it's going to work out kind of like with Pete Carroll, because he was like fourth choice at that point in time when they were looking for a head coach. Uh, but um the reality of that situation set in pretty quickly, and I think the majority of the fan base were on the same page during the Clay Helton era. So there wasn't as much divisiveness. But when you have a coach that's had some success, he's been a proven winner somewhere else, um, you're, the expectations are going to be higher. And so that's where you see that divisiveness, you know, and, and uh, that's what we've had to deal with uh, the past couple of weeks. All right, Gerard, let's move on to our next topic, and that's crystal ball. Stock market, as I like to call, written down here as Crystal Ball Report. USC did get a new Crystal Ball, and I'm sorry to disappoint USC fans, but it's not for a 2024 prospect. It's not even for a 2025 prospect. Not it's yet. 20... Not, yet. not don't get don't get all Christopher and Trevino on. I'm not sorry. Yet. I'm just pointing out that it is a 2026, <laughs> 2026. Uh, Prospect at a, at a Sierra Canyon. <laughs> keep repeating that. 2026. I blanked on where I was. Defensive back. I I, I apologize for the last name because I don't know specifically how to pronounce it. But Reardon. it's Madden. It's, it's Reardon? Reardon. Madden Reardon. Yeah. Reardon. Well, there you go. Madden Reardon. Not rated in the 24-7 sports composite. Not rated in the 24-7 sports rankings out of Chasworth, California. He has nine offers right now including USC, Arizona, Cal, Colorado, Miami, San Diego State, UNLV, Arkansas State is also in there. But uh, Madden tweeted out with his offer that he picked up after the the Utah game that USC is his dream school. And then obviously Greg Biggins rushed in and put a crystal ball in for Madden. So possibly USC is going to add to that 2026 class very, very soon. And uh, we're gonna have to get uh, Connor back up there to see some see some more of Madden because he's been to Sierra Canyon uh, several times this season. Yeah, we've seen Sierra Canyon four times this season, I think. Yeah, I don't know because JP has also seen them, and I mean you've got uh, two commitments there. Yeah. So you've got uh, Marquise Gallegos who transferred there from uh, Chatsworth, 
and you know you've got uh, Jordan Xavier uh, Xavier Jordan excuse me who's you know also been a commit there and you also have Jayon Young who's a 2025 defensive back who's very high on USC um, interesting you know that the the offer is 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 not shocking USC also has an offer out to Havon Finley uh, who is a defensive back in the 2027 class at Sierra Canyon so. Uh, Sierra Canyon, uh, one of the schools that USC has been uh, recruiting fairly hard and has a presence at. You know, there are some schools where that's a question that I get asked by sometimes sources and coaches that are at these schools like St. John Bosco and Modern Day, uh, Centennial, Poly, where, you know, what's going on with USC? We haven't heard from USC in a long time. And it's like, oh, well, I don't know. I can't speak for the coaching staff, but I think at Sierra Canyon, uh, they've certainly had much more of a presence, and they are trying to lock up some guys uh, early on in the recruiting process. So, so this is one uh, that Greg is hearing. You know, is very much uh, potential uh, to go USC's way, and certainly there's a lot of time between now and 2026. A lot can change. Um, kind of the joke was, when's the last time we held on to a commitment for that long? And I said, well. Jay Toya, I think was the last time you had <laughs> uh, a commitment oh, that no. was like two years ahead of the actual signing, and uh, he signed all right. Unfortunately, he ended up transferring out after spring ball. But uh, that's that's one that uh, appears to be going USC's way. Uh, we're still thinking that USC is on flip watch for Huntington Beach offensive tackle Justin Taunau. And you were actually able to go down and see Justin Taunau uh, this past uh, weekend, I believe. I feel like we're just going to fold this into Friday Night Lights because that's what it feels like. But yes, we can, I did go we see, can do I, that. Sure. I did go see Justin Taunau, caught up with him after the game. It was not a, a pretty game for Huntington Beach. I was actually on the sideline that a parent came up and started talking to me because they were, you know, saw the CBS jacket. They saw my camera. They were like, oh, what are you what are you here for? I was like, oh, here to see Huntington Beach, Justin Taunau, want to see their uh, the quarterback, 2027, Brady Edmonds. And she was like, oh, you should have came here last week. We are going to get beat by 100 in this game. And I was like kind of shocked by her, her uh, candidness about this game. But uh, yeah, Los Al is a, is a top team in that, that uh, division, I believe they might be on track for the number one seed in division two or number two seed at least. But yeah, it was going to be an ugly night as she predicted. And I'll give Huntington Beach some credit. They, they stuck around. They, they hung around, they stopped them. They stopped uh, Los Al in their first drive on fourth down turnover on downs. And then at one point it was like 13 to seven, but then obviously Los Al just like kind of turned it on focus mainly on Justin Taunau and, you know, you see all the physical tools there. You see the size, you see the athleticism. He just needs, you know, more development. I see a player that is a lot more confident pass blocking than he is run blocking. Seems a little bit like doesn't know quite what to do sometimes when he's when he's up. He's run blocking. And then there's sometimes they were using him on a pull and he kind of just like didn't know where to go. He missed like two blockers or just timed it wrong and, and you know, was, the defender was able to go in and make the tackle. So definitely needs some work in the run game development, definitely stronger in the pass game, and definitely a guy who is more confident in pass blocking 
as a tackle. So I thought that was interesting. That was something I just picked up watching him in his uh, game fully for the first time. I did see him last year. Lincoln Riley was actually at the game last year that I saw also against LaSalle. And I believe that was in the playoffs. But yeah, so this is my first time kind of like fully watching him. And full disclosure, if I was still doing crystal balls, I'd probably put a crystal ball in for him just listening to the way he talked about USC. At the end, he was just like, yeah, I'm not taking any more visits. I just really wanted to go see USC, basically. He said, you know, I've always loved USC. That was kind of his ending point. So I would feel confident in putting a crystal ball in if I was still putting in crystal balls, George. Yeah, and he was at the game this past weekend as well. So mm-hmm. been he's in the game. with his girlfriend. He's there with his girlfriend. I think this is the third game I think he's been at, if I recall, because he third showed up. consecutive home game. Stanford game was the first game that he showed up to. So, yeah, there's certainly a bit of a crystal ball alert watch on him. And I don't think that has necessarily changed despite the loss to Utah. Um, If we're going to roll that into Friday Night Lights, I went out to Chino Hills to watch them host Upland. And I was there to isolation film Tristan Castro, who is a 2025 defensive back. And again, we've talked about the 2025 class. I don't think it's great. I think there's a couple positions where you've got some depth and you've got a good amount of players. And then there's some positions where we just haven't seen a lot of players uh, depth-wise, talent-wise at all. The defensive back position is probably the strongest in the 2025 class. And we've seen a bunch of players. I mean, we've seen probably six, seven of these 2025 defensive backs locally. Tristan Castro plays both offense and he plays defense, but he is being recruited mostly as a defensive back. He is uh, one of the better players uh, that I've seen this year. A very good player. Um, had a couple of uh, plays where the offensive player got loose and he ran, he must have run 50, 60 yards to run the player down and to make the tackle before uh, Chino Hills was able to score. And so like to see that sort of tenacity, that relentlessness, you know, when you're out of the play and you got to run cross field to go run somebody down. Uh, We are going to be putting that uh, film up here shortly. I I actually have it ready to go up uh, right now. So, you know, watching him as a defensive back, didn't get to see a whole lot from him. Uh, just because Chino Hills wasn't going to really throw the ball at him. So we did get to see a little more athleticism from him on the offensive side of the ball. He had a great 50-50 ball in the end zone where he kind of mossed the defensive back. So in terms of uh, the the ball skills, uh, watching him run with the ball in his hands, he's definitely one of those guys that has quite a bit of athleticism and is ready to try to take a game over. And I do like that he's playing offense and he is an impactful player on offense. I think he could probably play – more offense for them. They kind of didn't go to him real early on. And I think there was some opportunities to do that. And then later in the game, they kind of got him the ball with some screen passes and what have you. And so, yeah, I, I really liked what I saw from him. Another kind of tallish defensive back. He's about six foot and a half, six one, uh, about 175 pounds. And so when you're looking at him, you're looking at LaRue Zamorano, you're looking at Chuck McDonald. Also prayers go out to Chuck McDonald. It lost his mom. Uh, yeah. this week. Yeah. And so definitely prayers to his family. Uh, we talked to Darius Dixon, who's another 2025 defensive back from modern day across from him. Uh, a guy that's got some interest in USC, USC, not really at the top of his list right now. Uh, they got to recruit him a little harder, but he does have a relationship going with Dante Williams. And he was actually at the game um, this past week 
uh, for Utah. So, you know, getting him on campus more is going to be very important for them. Uh, but there's just a slew of defensive backs in this class, and that has been a position uh, certainly where USC is struck out on some guys early on. And so you you want to see them be able to hit those plan A type of players, you know, the guys that uh, they want to bring in during the summer and get some commitments uh, from some of those players uh, instead of, you know, having to kind of pivot and go out of state and go after some three-star guys in the South or what have you. But there's depth at that position in 2025. So it really shouldn't be um, super hard, you know, out of the guys that you've already offered scholarships to. All right, Gerard, I think that it's time for us to take a break. And when we come back, we'll get your thoughts on the USC-Utah game from over the weekend. On your cook meter, you got about up to a 7.5. That's where the uh, the little dial hit up. So I, I got to keep you below a 9.5. So we're going to let you reassess, get some water, cough some things out, maybe take a yawn or two. So when we come back, we're going to get into all that. But Gerard, hi. How are you feeling? I feel fine. I mean, we could have gotten more in depth into the guys that actually visited for the Utah game, but I guess we can. We are. We are in a second. Right okay. after this break. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Settle right. down, I, Tiger. We got you. We I got look you. forward to it. Let's let's go. Let's go. Come on. Hit it. Hit it. Hit it, okay. boys. Can you just – can you do the thing? Can you do the sound? <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the show, Gerard. I know I just asked you how you're feeling, but that was like 15 minutes ago. Oh, yeah, break. definitely. So how are you doing after <laughs> 15 minutes? Of I, I actually I, I took a nap, actually, uh, during, yeah, that's during good. the break. 
Great. I'm, I'm refreshed. I'm ready to go. I'm excited. Second win, baby. Uh, Gerard, do you think very quickly before we get into USC, Utah and the visitors on hand, do you think we should be worried as college football has been afflicted by sign stealing? Are we should be worried on this podcast about people stealing our signs? <laughs> that's a dude. That's a that's a rabbit hole, man. That's a yeah. Okay, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. I'm I'm kind of nope. Nope. I'm half surprised it. a little bit by nope. the fact that people are making such a big deal of it you know oh, because okay it's uh how do you stop people from stealing signs how do you stop it I like don't, really? don't write don't write something with a manifesto in the yeah, title don't I, do that don't do well, that well the thing is it's like i see the michigan situation being and it's starting to sound similar to the asu situation where it was more whistleblower that led to all this than some buddy in the conference or somebody from another discovering program. it yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's hard to prove. Listen, at the high school level, I've seen guys pop up from other schools and <laughs> go into this. And I'm like, hey, hey, what are you doing here? Oh, just scouting such and such. Okay, okay, cool, cool. And they're going up to the stands and they got a little video camera. And it's, I mean, it's just is what it is. I when I think of like stealing playbooks and things of that nature, like a little more brazen. A little more, um, you know, I, I've heard things, you know, there's been accusations that have been way more serious in terms of, you know, scouting and, and evaluating practices and, and getting into people's playbooks and all kinds of things like stories. But this is like, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, people are like, it's against the rules, man. It's against the rules. Harbaugh's got to go down. I just kind of, I roll my eyes like, yeah, okay. So sure. I mean, but that is, as you say, in terms of your signs and your signals and, and all that kind of jazz, which has become very popular because of the um, the the up-tempo offenses, I mean, that's that's one of the, the downsides to it. Is somebody just seeing what you're doing and you haven't changed it enough? It's the same thing with your terminology as well. Somebody kind of hears something and they go, oh, 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 we, we know what that is. When he makes that call, it's like the whole Omaha call with Peyton Manning. You know, everybody was – scrambling to figure out like what what does that actually mean i mean you know eventually people are going to figure out and you've got to either change it completely i don't know it never was an issue back in the day because you had usc just huddling um but certainly that's all changed now and um that's uh one of the pitfalls it's one of the obstacles is people figuring out what you're doing so you know with usc uh, they obviously have a lot of signals coming from the sideline and um I mean, you can see what you can see the opposing defense looking across the field and looking at Caleb Williams. They're, you know, <laughs> they're trying to make adjustments on those adjustments and they're hearing things. And so I don't know. I think it, I honestly think it's just part of the game these days. Uh, but if you've got somebody who's got detailed information and they've got all this stuff on plane tickets, and again, that sounds more like a whistleblower situation, then you yeah, you 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 set yourself up to get tagged, to get penalized. So We'll see how far this thing goes and how much the NCAA or how the deep conference. the rabbit hole goes. Well, it's not the rabbit hole. It's just, you know, do you want to make an example? Is this it, like who really pushes for this to be something that like you're going to make this a penalty, which actually scares other people from doing it? I don't I still don't think you're going to. I, I, I think it is what it is. And schools are going to do it. It's. And it's it's 
it's hard to stop. It's one of those things. It goes like with the NIL. It's like, can you really make a rule that you can't enforce? Is that really a rule? Like you can say it's a rule. Say, well, in the spirit of the game, this is a rule. If you can't enforce it, it you you just understand that that there's going to be people that try to circumvent it, and they probably will circumvent it. All right, you didn't you didn't go off too far off a tangent, so so thank no, you. So thank that, you that could have been containing but, yourself. Yeah, got out to about a seven point eight on the Cook scale on that. So <laughs> well, I I might have a. Uh, I may have uh, 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 hind- uh, hindered you a little bit, but uh, thank you for containing yourself. Let's roll into Utah beating USC fourth consecutive time, 34-32, in a very dramatic game in the Coliseum. We're not going to try to beat a dead horse because these sections the last couple of weeks all seem to be talking about the same thing. But we were back in the Coliseum, which means USC was back to hosting prospects. So I'm going to read off some of the prospects that I saw out there, the, the main ones that I saw. They're starting with the 2024 prospects. You had a bunch of commitments in the house, not a bunch, but several commitments in the house. Three, three-star three McKinney, Texas, running back Brian Jackson, who is a commitment. You got three-star Cherry Creek, Colorado offensive lineman Hayden Treeter, who is a uh, commitment as well. You had three-star Huntington Beach, California offensive lineman. Justin Taunau, you had three-star Oaks Christian cornerback Prince Williams. You had unranked Diamond Ranch California defensive tackle Trinidad Wilson, who has been to, I think, all but one home game this season. In the 2025 class, you had five-star Mission Viejo California cornerback Dijon Lee, who I believe has been at every home game. Four-star Bonita linebacker Noah McHale, who made his first time, his first uh, game day visit this season for this game. Four-star Pittsburgh, California safety, Jaden Hudson. Four-star McKinney, Texas linebacker, Riley Pettyjohn, who was the most notable name in attendance, in my opinion, a top 100 player in the 2025 class, recently put USC among his top 11, I believe. He is teammates with Brian Jackson. Riley Pettyjohn was offered last spring, got on campus over the summer as well. So, USC trying to further inroads with him, the big-time linebacker out of Texas. He had four-star modern-day defensive back Darius Dixon. Three-star St. John Bosco edge rusher Epi Sitanelli. No, that's Italian. It's more Polynesian. I I butchered that. Uh, I just call him Epi, but he is a talented pass rusher. He is has an offer as well. 2026, you had five-star Loyola cornerback Brandon Lockhart, who has been to every game you had unranked los alamitos california wide receiver tron baker a commitment you had unranked los alamitos defensive tackle manoa faupusa who has a usc offer as well unranked orange lutheran linebacker talanoa ely and then unranked st john bosco california wide receiver madden williams who is a three-star in the or sorry unranked he is a three-star, I believe, in the composite, but not our ranking. So a a decent list of names on campus, especially for me in that 2025 class where some of the more interesting ones were, Gerard. Yeah, getting uh, Noah McHale uh, back on campus, and he's supposed to be potentially back on campus for the Washington game. He's going to be at the UCLA game for sure, so he's going to be uh, back on campus for USC and I think USC is still his leader right now. He's got a lot of schools after him, Texas, 
Uh, he's been there a, a few times, and Oregon's trying to get him back up there. Washington is recruiting him, so that Washington-USC game is big. If he doesn't go to that Washington-USC game, he's going to be at Alabama. So a national recruit, but somebody that's got a very good relationship with the coaching staff and really likes USC uh, above and beyond just the football program. Dejon Lee, he's been at every USC game. Didn't see uh, Philip Bell, who is his cohort there at Mission Viejo, who had been at US every USC game up until this point. Um, Jaden Hudson is, is another defensive back. We talk about 2025 defensive back class. I mean, that is where the strength of the class is. We didn't even mention Lee. And then you've got Jaden Hudson, who's one of the top uh, safeties in the class. And so he's back down. He's been at USC, I think, three times this year. So that's a good one. And we already talked about Darius Dixon. Uh, Riley Pellejohn, you know, that is USC trying to get inroads there at McKinney. Um, they've uh, offered a few players at McKinney. And, um, you know, Pellejohn is one of the better underclassmen there. Uh, they haven't really had a lot of success out of Brian Jackson being committed. So trying to get some of the guys that are in a little higher ranked uh, to get on campus and, and try to make some inroads with them. So we do have a, a couple of um, reviews of the game and, and recaps of the game. I think we put Darius Dixon up uh, Tuesday uh, and talking about, you know, USC and, and getting to see them. And uh, we'll have uh, a few others coming down the pike. So, yeah, I mean, a, a decent show of recruits there. It's going to be interesting with the 2024 class. I think you're going to see potentially some more scholarship offers go out uh, to 2024. Uh, maybe when we get on the other side of that Oregon game and we see where USC is, you know, are they in a position where they can still compete and try to flip some big time recruits, some guys that are higher ranked? Or is it going to be one of those things where, you know, they've lost a couple games and they're not really in the conference championship you might be going to El Paso to play in the Sun Bowl or, you know, something of that nature. And you're in the lesser bowl. Uh, you've got to kind of like rein it in. And then you're pivoting to some local recruits and you're going to have to go after some guys. So we're going to see how that shakes out here in the next few weeks. Gerard, what can you say about the actual game on the field? 34-32, a dramatic loss for USC where they battled back to get a position to Caleb Bullock, big pick six defense put under pressure with Lincoln Riley deciding to go for a field goal and trusting in his defense to get them the ball back. And they did Zachariah branch being Zachariah branch, a very uh, punt return, very reminiscent to the Notre Dame punt where he brought it to the exact same spot on the sideline. USC goes up, cannot get any two point conversions in this game and then back on the defense. And obviously we know how it ended with a, with a uh, field goal as time expired, Utah winners again over the Trojans. So Gerard, the only real question I have is how vindicated do you feel that Mason Murphy played guard? <laughs> not not I wrote a dope you there um actually I was gonna say you know again not to beat a dead horse because I'm gonna tell you we have hit on these points with this team since the spring things that we had question marks sort of the if this happens then they're gonna have a good season but this potentially might not happen in terms of offensive regression, just the natural 
effect of teams getting film on Caleb Williams on the offense, tendencies, et cetera. It's sort of to be expected. And then what comes from that, what comes from defenses being able to play you just better because they've seen you and they know a little more what to expect. You have those counter wrinkles to be able to continue to be prolific or do you get frustrated and start to turn the ball over? This team has a lot of Sam Darnold 2017 in them right now. It's a team that is trying to make plays or trying to play like they did last season, and it's not happening happening for them naturally. And so they're trying to create those plays, and I think that's led to some of the turnovers. The bright side of this game is that the offensive line played much, much better than they did against Notre Dame. As as you pointed out, they did some reshuffling, which you just really didn't know what the answer was going to be coming from the Notre Dame game. The answer was put Mason Murphy at guard. And Josh Henson listened to this podcast. No, because he probably would have put Mason Murphy at guard during spring ball. (laughs) So, no, I think it's just, you know, I don't know what's what brought it along. I don't know if you guys were able to talk the Josh Henson this week and, and the motivation to kick down Mason Murphy as a guard, but that's, I do. Ceiling. I do have that answered for you. Okay. He said that Mason had what they were looking for in terms of the experience. So they wanted obviously to put someone with experience at that position. And he had the best hip or he had the hip flexibility to get his hips. Oh, sorry. Yes. I it. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. He has the, uh, the capability well, of getting mobility. his hips low. Yes. Mobility. And the power, he said they were lacking power in that interior guard position. And he was the one who could, uh, they circled and said, hey, he can can do the things we need him to do. Bring the power, the mobility to play guard as well. So that's why they chose Mason Murphy. It's it's tougher in that offense to play guard than a lot of other guards because you do a lot of GT counters. So you're pulling a lot as a guard and you got to get, you got to pivot. You got to have good footwork. You got to have agility, and you got to get out of being in a stance to getting where you are perpendicular to the line of scrimmage to where then you've got to get your arm, your shoulders square to get upfield and block. And Mason Murphy is one of the few linemen that they have on the roster. And, and John Monahan has a little bit of this as well, where you have the athletic ability uh, to be able to 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 get yourself situated to where you can do that. And they had some issues with with that uh, against Notre Dame. And Jared Kingston, who has not played a lot of guard, uh, he kind of fell down a couple of times. We've seen Pregnon have his issues getting out of his stance and kicking in. You do have to have some mobility at that position. And I think with Mason Murphy, his ceiling is certainly uh, as an NFL lineman. And I think he actually has a ceiling as an NFL lineman. I think he has the ability to maybe play on Sundays, but as an interior guy, because he has more explosiveness at that position. His strengths really are better on the interior than they are out there at, at right tackle. Not to say he and he could do it, you know, he can he can he can supplement that position in a pinch, but really his strongest position is definitely playing guard. So that I always kind of pounded the table there like, hey, I think they need to kick him in at some point and try something else at the end. And it worked a lot better against Utah, which has a better front seven uh statistically than even Notre Dame. So they played much better. 
the obvious just, you know, mystery, and this has been a mystery for us. Again, I, I don't want to be a dead horse. These are points that we've talked about every single week, the running game and the lack of commitment to the running game. It's particularly early in the season, not developing that, not not developing to the point where you could be really confident, where you can take a game over running the football. They balked on that. They decided they wanted to get their stats, keep it you know in the air, throw more, then run the ball. And then they're at this point where now teams that have better defenses are able to get a pass rush or not able to just throw the ball at will like they, they wanted to. And you need to be able to run the ball. Well, they did that against Utah. That's the one thing I didn't really predict i didn't know that they would be able to actually run the balls effectively in that first quarter they have 101 rushing yards in that first quarter and then they literally run the ball once in the second quarter the other rushing attempt is actually a sack on caleb williams that's just nuts that's just crazy you get 14 points in the first quarter and you get no points in the second quarter and you don't run the ball so i I mean that is still an absolute mystery to me i i don't know what's going on there and why that's happening they they just didn't really run the ball at all against notre dame but in against utah they really had some success there uh running the football and got completely away from it and then they kind of ran the ball again and they had a drive there where they get uh austin jones is running the ball and i think that's in the fourth quarter and they have three or four runs to him and he's running for about six seven yards of carry and then you get a third and three and third and four and they just they're they're going to pass the ball and one of those plays, uh, Caleb Williams ends up kind of fumbling it. The ball slips out of his hand. Is he going to throw it? And uh, that forces him to have to take a field goal. And so there's all so many things that, again, week in and week out, we want to see this, we want to see that, and it's not happening. And, you know, some things you you, you think it's from a, an execution standpoint and you can make arguments with scheme and what have you. And then other things it just doesn't make sense because – it's like the run game in the first quarter and it's successful. And of course, you know, maybe as a play caller, you're anticipating, okay, they're going to try to take this away in the next quarter. But I think throughout the season and even going into last season, the one thing that we've seen from a tendency standpoint is that if the run game has anything less than like eight yards, <laughs> the next run, they will, they will get away from it. They, they run away from the run you know it's like three yards rushing oh my god what is this this is despicable we can't you mean you mean they pass away from the run yeah they 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 well they yeah they run away from the run but they they go to the pass they basically they will not run the ball for the rest of the quarter (laughs) they would just they just go straight pass and um teams are figuring that out they figured that out they figured that out a while ago and uh this is the, the the part of the schedule also where these defenses have seen USC already. You know, these are not like new staffs and whatever. These these defensives have seen them. They've had time to, to, to go over the film. And so you gotta counter that as an offense. You've got to do different things. You have to show different things. And they really haven't been real great at doing that. And certainly tendency-wise, they haven't been good at doing that. And I think that has also where they've been a little it, it's been harder for them to actually um, get the run going. So that that was why I was kind of surprised at how good they were doing against Utah. But maybe it was just that move to switch around the offensive line. And, and again, I feel like the offensive line personnel-wise, they're better at running the football. They should be better at running the football, the, the players that they have on the offensive line. So that's another thing that's kind of an odd occurrence where, you know, you, you're like, well, man, the personnel you have and 
got some good running backs there. It's like, I mean, the only thing that I can say is you've got Caleb Williams, and it's like, well, how do you argue against taking Caleb Williams out of the game? How do you argue to take the ball out of his hands when he's your best player? But because the they're losing. Is, well, now, now, yeah, now because you're you're losing, but also that's because my, that's the argument. You you put a lot of pressure on him as well, and we talked about that against lesser teams having to do spectacular things to move the football. And that's not good when you're playing against a team that you, you really shouldn't need the spectacular to be able to do that. And so that there's that pressure there for, for Caleb to do some crazy things and to run around and you start playing against better defenses and it's just harder to do that stuff. And the probability of turning the ball over uh, when you've done that against your Nevadas and you've done that against Stanford is much higher because those guys on the back end are more talented. The, the the players that are rushing the passer are a bit more aware. They're a bit better at being able to, you know, perhaps put pressure on you, get in your face. They're not just falling down because you're making a move and you're being able to scramble. So all of these things, you know, are, are just coming to a head right now. And, um, you know, when you don't play defense, offensively, if you're not scoring every possession, it, it's, it, it's going to be difficult to, to win games against good teams. And so that's basically where we're at right now with, with, with USC. And that's it. We're good. We don't need to talk anymore. We're good. We can I mean, flush we're, it. We're, we're rehashing too much stuff. You want to hear us talk about the team. It, it's, it's been a new light in the same a, light, a new same light. fluorescent, <laughs> same fluorescent, painfully headache inducing light. That we've been talking about, then we want to talk about it in a new light. Drug. That's basically what what we're saying. Yeah, oh, that's I mean, what we, I'm saying. We we actually should, um, you know, look at that segment because it's kind of was a recruiting angle segment that's kind of changed a bit. We need to have like a just a pumper segment where we just it's like you know we're just gonna concentrate on just positives because that would be different, right? Because there's there's some things there that in terms of being critical and what they're not doing, it's always easier to kind of go in on that, especially when you're getting losses. So it's more challenging to sit there and look at, well, okay, you know, the offensive line played much better. They had a great running game in that first quarter. Let's just ignore the fact that they did not run the ball for the rest of the game. I think it was 10 rushes in the first quarter and 13 rushes the rest of the game. We'll just ignore that. No, 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 no. They played great in the first quarter. Um, you know, that great special teams play that, Zachariah Branch is able to make, you know, and kind of just focus on uh, some of those positive things because the critiques and even just the projected weaknesses going back into the spring, I mean, it's, man, it's been one of the more predictable USC teams that I can remember. It's been, they've really, it's the season has sort of played out. Now, granted, I had them beating Utah. And it was always, I think I even mentioned on the podcast, I was so torn about it. I think mainly because it, there was something in me that was just like, I don't want them to lose because I know the message boards are going to be such a mess. And I was the letting that sort of push me into picking them to win when I knew this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a really tough one for them to win. I, th- I thought they would win, but I also thought it would be like by one point. That's why I took Utah. So I kind of lucked into that one, but. Yeah, Honestly, it, worked, it worked out for me. I thought I, I thought that if they won, they'd win by like 10, 11 points. Um, kind of felt like it could go the way of the Notre Dame game 
last year at the Coliseum, kind of, sort of, you know, like not a great quarterback for Utah, no exceptional running backs, um, good offensive line, but just offensively, they're just not very good. They're good defensively, they're physical, but USC would have an answer for that. And they would be able to go up early and put pressure on Utah to score, which didn't happen. You know, they, they, they got a score, but then they, you know, Utah would come back and then they get a score and Utah would come back. And there were some, just some instances there where um, the, the offense was really not clicking. And we, we broke this down. I, I have this segment now we're doing, um, or I should say not a segment, but the feature that we do with the game changers, which is just going over every big play and sort of how that was set up and maybe some things that were a little under the radar that were going on that, that really made that, that particular play, a real big pivot play uh, in the game. So, you know, if you want to see that, that's, that's on the site somewhere. It's buried now. <laughs> put up so much content, but um, nevertheless, like we, we've been doing that and just kind of looking at uh, the, the most important plays and, and how they impact the game, whether it's, you know, scoring or not. And certainly the penalties and so there's a lot of those kind of things that come up and it's like, man, you know, they just go the other way and, and USC probably, ends up winning that game but you know there's certainly the argument like should it even be that close and this is a championship caliber team uh you know the Notre Dame game should have been it should have been much closer should have been much more like the Utah game and then the Utah game you should have won and you should be beating Cal and it's really the Oregon and Washington games that you you got to worry about and those are the games are gonna be harder so you know everybody's ahead of themselves though and they've already picked USC to get blown out by Oregon and lose at home against Washington. We'll see. It, it doesn't always line up that way. I think, you know, there's those fans that they're over dramatic. you know? It's like, oh, my gosh, we're just going to lose every game now. It goes from, you know, we lost this game and it's disappointed to at the end of time now. You know, the football program is just completely off the rails. Off the rails, you say? That kind of leads us into our next segment, but you wrote it down, and I actually don't want to say it, so I'm going to let you say the next segment. <laughs> the next segment is all of the rumors, which we can't ignore, about Lincoln Riley leaving USC. And there's been plenty that has been speculated about it. And I think some of it has to do with losses because people are trying to connect dots as to you know why USC is playing as bad as they are right now. But – we brought this up and have talked about this earlier in the spring. So this is not a new subject for us, but we've been conditioned so much to know that the fan base doesn't want to tune in and hear negative uh, projections and, and negative narratives that are talked about. They don't want Chris and Trevino. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. Christopher and Trevino. Uh, I just want to warn you, Gerard, do not get that uh, cook meter up on this segment. All right. <laughs> You, you got you got about a you got about an eight point two on that last one. So let's, let's oh. remember nine is the okay. you can't get over a nine. So let's uh, let's let's be wary. I'm just giving you a, being wary right now. This 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 topic came off the heels of Dylan Riola's recruitment, the five star quarterback that uh, ended up committing to Georgia after he'd already been committed to Ohio State, and they had also gone after DJ Lagway, the Texas. Uh, quarterback that ended up committing to University of Florida and just being around those circles with quarterback coaches. It's a pretty tight-knit community. 
And there was already sort of questions coming up, uh, sort of almost rhetorical to us about Lincoln Riley and whether he was going to stick it out at USC or he'd move on with Caleb Williams. And that being something that some of these quarterbacks had heard in the 2024 class. And, you know, immediately you have to be skeptical about that because it's recruiting. Right. And I do think a lot, a lot of this connected the dots has to do with recruiting because USC is not recruiting as well as people would assume and expect them to be recruiting right now, uh, regardless of these last two losses, really coming into the summer, coming out of the summer in the off season, where really you do the majority of your recruiting anymore, USC not being at that level. This goes back to the early spring where there was questions about, you know, whether he was maybe looking to use USC as a stepping stone to go to the NFL. And you have to, you know, think, okay, there's, agents and there's some overlap here with people and again that's a smaller community of folks and when that narrative comes up it was something that we kind of talked about but we don't want to like bring it up every week and talk about it because it's just not something that people want to hear and it is speculative and it's oh my god is this unsubstantiated rumors very speculative no because oh, it's a speculative there's there's no there's no there's no real rumor with it not from a source that i would trust it's more people online bringing it up because of the recruiting that's going on right now and maybe the lack of presence at certain local schools and usc just not having the juice on the recruiting trail that they usually do and feeling like well Okay, and, and listen, I, I've heard it, for, I, but again, it's more questions. It's more like, you know, what do you think? You know, you're the you're the USC guy. <laughs> I'm like, listen, I'm not the USC guy. You I'm are the, the USC guy. I don't know. No, I'm not. I'm really not. <laughs> I, I I just, you know, it, it's like, I, I, you tell me. You know, you tell me, McMahon. I mean, that's that's what it's really comes down to. So when I say that, I don't really get a whole lot in terms of like something that's 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 significant or tangible that, you know, I can go, Oh, well, that is, that is, that's interesting. That's concerning. So again, I think it's really something that's come from people reading between the lines and trying to get a sense. The one thing that happened um, somewhat recently that I think does give you pause. If that's what you're thinking as a Trojan fan, or you're buying in to the, the speculation on message boards and people tweeting is the fact that you got Julian Lewis, the 2026 quarterback commit, um, locked up and pledged and, and potentially uh, reclassifies for the, the class of 2025. Because that's another thing people are looking at. They're going, why has USC not gone after a quarterback in 2025? They haven't even offered a guy in 2025. And, and that was something that a lot of people were speculating about as well. But if you look at it in through Julian Lewis being committed and then reclassifying for 2025. It's not, it's not a question mark anymore. And certainly Julian Lewis believes that Lincoln Riley is going to be at USC in the future. And Lincoln Riley has said so much, but unfortunately because college coaches have lied in the past and not to say Lincoln Riley lied because I know the Oklahoma fans are out there like, Oh yeah, man, he's number one. I mean, he said he wasn't going to LSU and that's what you guys asked him. And now you're butthurt because you didn't ask him who, are you going to USC? Nobody asked him if he was going to USC. It was after the LSU, it was, oh, he's staying in Oklahoma. There was a lot of assumptions, a lot of assumptions, and people are mad because they made assumptions. And you know what happens, Chris, when you assume 
You make lemonade. Oh, yes. That too. But anyways, um, I think that, again, there's there's a lot of that kind of going on where uh, there's just people connecting dots. And uh, I, I'm not here to, to give you any, this is going to happen. That's not, you know, predictions. But I, I think that it's a little overblown and, and I have yet to hear anything um, solid to say, yeah, this is this is happening for sure. It could potentially happen. I mean, I think you're naive if you think, oh, if Lincoln Riley was going to go to the NFL, he would have just gone to the NFL straight from Oklahoma. No, I think there's certainly things to be gained by going to USC and living in a pro city and acclimating yourself and, and acclimating your family and getting the feel for, okay, this is more what it would be like if I coached in NFL. You're getting mm-hmm. a much closer preview to that living in LA coaching at USC than you are at Norman, Oklahoma. But, but I don't know. Cause like the whole like media stuff in USC has not gone great for Lincoln Riley banning a reporter, essentially cutting back the restrictions of watching practice that is not gone over well. And then, you know, you know the NFL makes you release injuries, right? You know NFL reporters can watch every second of practice, right? I don't I don't see how as someone as quote unquote paranoid as Lincoln Riley would handle that access that is just uh placed on them by the NFL. Like you have to do these things. I just don't I just don't see how that would play out. You can certainly be a bit more of a micromanager uh, as a college coach, and you are going to have more control over multiple facets of the program than you are a franchise that has an owner. I think in order for Lincoln Riley to go to the NFL, he's got to probably get a sweetheart deal. He's going to get the Pete Carroll deal. Teams came after Pete Carroll. The reason he left to Seattle, because he was able to get – player personnel uh, responsibilities. He was able to pick his draft picks. He was able to go into free agency and have control over who they went after, where a lot of coaches don't have that control. You've got a GM, you've got the president, you've got that whole front office of the franchise that really handles that. So I would think Lincoln Riley would want a deal where – he could have that and in and, and but at the same time i mean on paper i still see there being some advantages to going to usc rubbing elbows with these different people you've got two nfl teams in southern california i mean there's a possibility that you could end up he's not been to multiple even, rams games yeah you, you you could potentially not even have to relocate your family living in los angeles i mean but look at the chargers Chargers well, suck. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely some reasons that I could see that, you know, an argument for if that was like the master plan. And yeah. And, and, and then there's obviously people that are like, well, you're not going to leave USC because it's USC. And that's just, you know, USC fan speak. I think at the end of the day, uh, we're, we're going to, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, certainly, you know, the other argument is like, well, you're going to lose against Utah three times. There's no NFL team that's going to want to come after you. It's like, that's not true. I mean, 
Cliff Kingsbury is a good example of that not being true. He's on the staff right now. I mean, Cliff Kingsbury was 7-5 to five at Texas Tech and got fired at Texas Tech, and the Arizona Cardinals came in and swooped him up as he was about to be the offensive coordinator at USC. It, it's, I, it, it, that's wild. That's crazy. So I'd I, never say never from that standpoint. I brought this up, but how much do you think, like, obviously it's all speculation, but, you know, having a guy – who's kind of similar in Lincoln Riley, you know, offensive guru kind of guy, got poached, name is was brought up by NFL teams, did go to the NFL, kind of went with a, a high-end quarterback, you know, with Kyler Murray, and didn't pan out. It was a tough go of it. It was kind of good early, and then it really fell at the bottom. How much do you think, like, if any, they're, like, kind of picking his brain about it at all? Picking Cliff's brain about Cliff's brain about. Oh, I'm sure they've had quite a few conversations. I mean, why wouldn't you have a conversation? I would want to pick Cliff's brain about those experiences in going from Texas Tech Lubbock and being really a college guy uh, in Mike Leach's system, which is similar to Lincoln Riley. He's also a Mike Leach guy. Neither of those guys really have a NFL pedigree like a Pete Carroll did. Pete Carroll was a very successful mm-hmm. defensive coordinator. He was a, kind of a lifer to some extent in the NFL before he ever came to college. So he'd been around the NFL and people always said, well, you know, he's never going to go back to the NFL because he'd been fired twice and he was a failure. And why would you want to go through that again? But Pete was competitive and he felt like he could be successful if he had the right situation. And again, that situation was GM powers. It was the ability to draft who he wanted to draft and go after free agents, the guys he wanted to go after and just have more control over that team. I think most of these high-end college coaches that are successful all want that. And, you know, Nick Saban uh, wanted that. I can't remember if he actually got that with Miami, but he's been an interesting sort of exception to the rule that, I mean, his experience in Miami was enough. Like he's had enough of the NFL. He's uh, seen enough of the NFL. He, he, once he got the Alabama job, it seemed like he wasn't looking back. And um, with Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury, not really NFL guys, uh, sort of speak. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic as well. You know, this would be a move that would be more akin to Urban Meyer you know, going to the NFL. We saw how well that worked out. And, and Urban Meyer is a, a, the the epitome of control. And, I mean, I heard so much stuff from NFL coaches. I had a couple different NFL coaches talk to me about Urban Meyer and, and some of the stuff that he tried to implement with the Jaguars. I remember having a conversation. We put this in the war room way, way back. Um, this was when USC was looking for a head coach. You know, Dante Williams was the interim coach. And USC was looking for a head coach. And I was told that Urban Meyer had this phone book, like this full-ass binder of how you conduct pre-practice. So he had a binder on meetings and film. He had a binder on practice and the how practice was supposed to be set up. But then he had like a binder on pre-practice and he wanted like his coaches to be out there like two hours before practice and setting things up and going over with each other how practice was supposed to go. And it was like very regimented, like very regimented. And there were just dudes on that staff that were like, 
are you effing kidding me? Like, I've been in the NFL for 15 years. This is ridiculous. Like, you've got dress codes for film. You've got, like, it was very, you know, like everything was, this is how we do it. And at the college level, you know, I, I don't dislike that. I think that's kind of more on how you have to be. I think that's the kind of stuff that builds culture. I think that's the stuff that builds accountability. It's small things. Like you're supposed to wear this. You're supposed to be here at this particular time. You're, and it seems like it's such regimented stuff that's like it's completely arbitrary to actually winning football games. But it's not because it's like you got to start at the small things and get your team, get your coaches, everybody on the same page. They're uniform. And then once you get those small things, even off the field, before you step on the field, all together and aligned, then you can start to build how you work on the football field together. And so I thought that was great. I was like, wow, that sounds like really cool. There was a name for these binders. I can't remember what it was. I think we put it called manifestos. Yeah, it wasn't manifestos. It was something pre-practice it, it was like it was like a real technical name i thought i thought you were like gonna a have a, like a name but you just said something i thought you were it, gonna say like an attempt no i can't i i can't remember off the top it was almost like technical it was like a handbook of how to do manual pre-practice and this is like what pre-practice like uh, what and so anyways um you know i think with college you certainly have that ability as a coach to 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 have that and implement that and that didn't work with the nfl with urban meyer and and i think there was other issues going on with urban meyer clearly um you know so i I, you know i I mean he kicked a player so let's let's put that out there he kicked a player yeah remember he kicked his kicker ironically nope I remember that. No, we don't remember a story. That's why I got fired from that. No, I'm my my memory is blurred by the whole bar situation and him being back in Cleveland or whatever. Well, that was great was. too. Yeah, that, that was, was a whole different too. thing. That was a whole you know smell my finger thing. That just that guy. That's all I remember. Smell my finger and, thing. And then the and the whole uh, boat situation. You know that was another one that was like, what is going on here? Well, um, one second, one second, one second. Just I need to pause for this. He was special. All right, you can finish your thought. Finish. <laughs> that's the first. That's the first uh, soundbite that we've had. I feel like we need to have something for the cold open when there's a commitment. I mean, what's going on there? Like we don't. Oh, now you you're know. turning it back on me. Well, I just now you're you turning know, it back on me. Yeah, I mean, I think that we should have some like some kind of like breaking. Well, it can't be breaking news. It happened last week, but nevertheless, uh, I people, think people are demanding. A, I got love for coach. Uh, or oh, just like me saying it. Yeah, actually, can you just do that at the end of the podcast? And then I'm just going to very easily clip it, take it, and then bam, we're good. So I just got to remind me to do that. I need a, I need love for Coach soundbite from you at the end of this podcast. Okay. So I, I'm going to write that down on my little, my little uh, uh, manifesto of notes here. Manifesto. I think that's like the third time you said manifesto. Oh, I think it's way, way higher than that, Dora. It's at least seven. Your manifesto is my je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. Je ne sais quoi. Uh, in terms of uh, control and whatever, I mean, that's certainly something that it's it's going to be harder to get at the NFL level um, than what you have at, at USC right now or what you had at Oklahoma. So that's going to be another thing. It's um, There's a lot of things that got to line up, in my opinion, with him uh, 
you know, making a move to the NFL uh, right here, right now. So I, I, I never say never. I've, uh, you know, learned that. I mean, I'm telling you, Cliff Kingsbury taught me that. <laughs> of all the people and all the situations, that one was the one I was like, no way, man. There's no way. And it happened. So I am no longer, uh, my, you know. My grand theory on that is that like 30% of the reason why he did it was a, was a fuck you to Lin Swan for attempting to block him from talking to NFL coaches, the NFL teams. So he, I resigned mean, did they, they to, really, to did they really try to I don't can't remember if they tried to block him. Yeah, that was, that was the story. The they tried to block him, so he resigned in order to be able to do the interviews. Jeez. Well, and then he had a hundred and seventy five thousand dollar buyout, which is nothing. <laughs> so chump yeah. change. Yeah, it's chump change for an NFL team. And there's people that are like, oh man, NFL kid, he's gonna have to take a pay cut to go to the NFL, Lincoln Riley. Yeah. Uh, none of those things are, I think, an issue. Uh, I think the issue is is more the job. It's the job, you know. And and certainly, again, I think when it comes to recruiting, it comes to NIL, that's where people are connecting dots. And going back to the spring again, I, I mean, that's those conversations that I had made me feel more like, oh, this is something here than the than the stuff that's coming out now. Because again, quarterback. Uh, trainers, coaches, that's a, that's a smaller community of people. There's overlap. People have agents, the agents talk, you know, there's some, some little scuttlebutt going on there among people. And you go, Oh, they're kind of, you know, bringing this subject up as something that um, again, kind of rhetorical questions that you go, are you saying this to me? Cause you're actually asking me this question. Or are you trying to tell me something here? Um, but lately it's more, just people looking at the the recruiting class and feeling like um, USC is not involved, but they, but you know, they, they are, that's, that, that's the thing is that yes, I have had people uh, at high school football programs like Bosco and Centennial modern day, et cetera, say, you know, where, where's USC at? You know, they just don't have a presence here. Like we haven't heard from those guys in months, but at the same time you have instances where it's like Noah McHale who talks to Lincoln Riley like twice a week and he talks to Brian Odom like every day. And, and there's other players like that, that I've spoken to that have uh, quite a good relationship with the coaching staff and speak to the coaching staff regularly. So, you know, it's a real sort of mixed bag. And I don't think you can just have this like broad brush approach to making these projections. I know it's good for clicks, but it's not real. Like it's not, USC's just ignoring everybody in the recruiting trail, which would obviously be a red flag for something like, oh, well, they're not really invested. What's going on? I mean, trust me, when Dante Williams was the interim coach, uh, that offensive staff, they mailed it in. They weren't recruiting. They weren't doing nothing. I mean, they they completely mailed it in. It was really the, the recruiting assistants and the analysts that were busting their asses to get guys to the the Coliseum, you know the the Armand Hawkins and the Viani uh, and the and the Marshall Sherringtons and those guys that were left on the the recruiting staff that were doing a really good job for the most part, um, getting guys to 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 visit and they got Dev- Devon Campbell there. They got a few guys that took on official visit during the season. It was a, a terrible this season for USC. Um, and you weren't really going to get much traction with those players, but they were able to get guys, you know, on campus. And 
Uh, the offensive staff was really kind of out to lunch for the most part. I mean, maybe there's a couple of guys that were still recruiting, but yeah, I think a majority of them were, were kind of, um, they were looking for other jobs and doing other things, which is kind of understandable. I think at that point in time, especially as you started to get into the season and USC just wasn't, they're getting blown out by everybody. Like there were just not a lot of close games. The writing was on the wall the offensive staff isn't going to be around and the defensive staff is going to be around. There's not going to be uh, much, much holdover um, from that previous staff under Helton. So um, you do look at these things, you know, I understand it's, it's human nature, uh, human nature to look for evidence, you know, to, to, to point to something so you can be ready for it. I get it. But uh, right now I think it's just a lot of people just, they're speculating and they're just kind of running with it blindly. On the internet? Come on, Gerard. Come on, Gerard. I had you at an 8.7 during that, so we're getting a little close, so uh, just just be aware of that. Gerard, you mentioned Lincoln Riley needing probably executive control if you were to take an NFL job. Well, I have executive control over this podcast right now, so I'm actually going to speed us right to listener questions. Wow. We're not gonna. We're not. We're not wow. gonna. Do, we're not gonna wow. do USC Cal because every time we say three things we want to see, it doesn't. That's true. Happen. That's true. It's like, I mean, what's the point? What's how the about point? this? How can it just? Can it just be one thing? Can we just see Braylon Shelby one on one on a swing pass against oh. Jay Knott? Can we see that? Okay. Oh, see oh, that? oh, yeah. Okay. Ironically, that, mean, can we that see means it? you're going. I mean, you're not see, see it. I see what you're see? saying. You're, you're reverse jinxing. You're reverse jinxing. Yes. You're reverse yes. jinxing. I see what you're. I see what you're doing. I, I let me see if I can do one. Let me see if I can do one. Uh, the defense give gives up a seventy yard pass play to a defensive player. <laughs> what? A 70-yard pass play to a defensive player, like for Cal, or what? What you didn't? What? I thought that's what we were doing. I don't know what we're doing. No, we're not in Bizarro Superman universe. We're just it. It would be uh, things we expect to see or we want to see. We want to see the USC defense give up a 65-yard pass play in the second half, or we want to see to a defensive you know, player. Sione the second. The second level of the USC's defense overrun the run uh, kids cow or something like that. But I don't know. You kind of confused me with the whole defensive player, 70 yards. Sione Vaki murdered USC. He's a safety. Oh, oh, okay. You got He's a safety. Oh, I got you. Like he broke off USC defender with that cut move. That's how I got it. was a guy that USC recruited and he was, there was no way. No, they almost, they could, they, Honestly, they could have landed him. You, you go back and see his tweets. I was going to post. I'm going to go look at his tweets right now. Oh wait, before when I do you, that, and you're probably you going to say something bumper. when you when you when you're about to talk about him. I know you're about to talk about him, but I just want to do this real quick. He was special. I don't know if that's true. He he. I remember Blair and I were talking <laughs> he was about like, him. He was like he, he, he wanted he, to say something. He was hitting me. He's like is he a take for USC? Is he a take for USC? And there was this back and forth and they balked. They said, nah. And yeah, he's a, he's a player. He's a player. He's a dude. North. He's from Brentwood, 
California, not Brentwood down here, but Brentwood up there. I think he went to Liberty High School up there. And so, yeah, it just I remember Sione Aki and, and, and seeing him um, against Cal, you know, when they played against Cal and, and he he ran some swing passes, <laughs> which was not good when you heard Alex Grinch talk about having never seen that before. And it's like, they, they, they actually did use him uh, just a week before. And yeah, we don't want to. My theory know. is my theory is he didn't mean to say that, but I think he was just under the pressure of that scrum and, you know, everything yeah. going on. He just like, like said that it happens to me all the time when my real, my real girlfriend uh, corners me. So you just say the wrong thing and he just said the wrong thing, like the worst thing. Uh, do they offer Vaki? Rocky? Vaki? Rocky? Vaki. <laughs> Uh, I think so. I think that no, yeah, they did because I remember. I mean, this is the thing when they offered him a scholarship, it was like, uh oh, he could be a commit right away. He was one of those guys that grew up a Trojan fan, and you see, it's definitely a Troy Palomalo fan. Yeah, when you see uh, him tweet after he got that scholarship offer, it was like, this is my dream school. This is so amazing. And the word on the street was he might commit on the spot, and it was like, is he a take? right now and then usc sort of slow played and then they kind of backed off if i recall and i was like i guess this is not happening and, and it just started faded and, and, and no they weren't involved anymore so um that's the prior oh, staff that was, that's not lincoln riley staff that was uh the clay helton staff i found it his uh, offer tweet is a quote a trojan is special and different and that we never leave one behind. The first college football game I ever saw live was USC versus Penn State Rose Bowl 2017, and Stevie T won the defensive MVP of the game, humbled by my offer to USC. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's definitely one USC could have gotten. So I know, I know it stings, it stings, but it's got to be cathartic to some extent, boys and girls. we got to... Gotta, gotta, gotta get a face to pain. It's face it's pain. It, it's very funny because uh, Utah offered him like two weeks after this uh, USC offer. <laughs> They're right on top of each other. Utah is on top of USC in the offer uh, chain here. So that is uh, that was poetic. If that's not poetic. I don't know what is. Joy. Yeah, and that wasn't uh, the Utes stealing him away from USC. I can trust trust me when I say that. That was USC deciding they were going to go in a different direction. I cannot remember who they were recruiting ahead of him or what have you. You know how the twenty eighteen class at that point. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I mean, I I just don't remember like what the what the board was at that particular point in time. But he was a guy that was um, kind of it was a, in a left field type of thing and. You know, um, not somebody that I was super familiar with because he was a Northern California guy, but uh, I think it was, yeah, I think it was Blair and I were, were talking about it. And I remember he was like, yeah, this dude, you know, they just offered him, but like I talked to him, he's, he, could, he could commit. And I just remember that. <laughs> Excuse me, that cough coming back, baby. Oh, no. Keep your, uh, well, they took, I guess as far as defensive backs, you had uh, Doran Hewitt. Trey Davis, Adonis Ote, Jaden Williams, Britton Allen, uh, Kaluna, Ka, Kaulana, Ma, Makaula, and then uh, Max Williams were the cornerbacks or defensive backs they recruited in this class. Wow. Well, that's murderers, bro. <laughs> 
Well, they also got Chris Steele at the transfer portal. That uh, I should uh, note that too. But still, but still, you're you're trading like <laughs> at least five of those guys for Sione Baki. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that was um, Johnny Nansen's watch, I believe. So oh. I heard Johnny Nansen was a guy that was on some lists as a defensive coordinator. Bring him back, USC fans. I've heard I've heard some crazy things. Trojan fans. They get desperate when it comes to, to to replacing coaches, and you get names that pop up, and you're like, "Dude, are you are you being serious right now?" I don't want to go in there and just like try to make people feel bad, but you do see some suggestions that are just bonkers. Just wow, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, so, absolutely. Anyways, moving along. Yeah, moving along, we're going to jump into listener questions. We're going to jump into listener questions. Just a reminder, if you have a question, you want to email us, you can send it to podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite 10K, Slauncha Boys, Recruiting Podcast, all that goodness, and it'll go to my inbox. And can we get a – I have I don't ask for this often, but can we get some a five-star reviews on the uh, Paracel podcast? Uh, can you can, can we, we get can we get, can we get, get can we get a some, review? Can we get some Yelp reviews too? Can I can get a reviews? yeah? Maybe not Yelp, but the no, but the no. Parastel podcast. Can you shout out Composite Two Star recruits? I know you're out there, Composite Two Star Nation. Let can I get can I get one? Can I get one to read on the next show, please? Please, someone show us some love. We haven't got one in a while, so this I, is not I, really I, the the stretch of USC football right now. Where people are looking to um, give positive reviews. On the subject matter, Chris. I don't know. Alex Grinch is not on this podcast. Yeah, but we did talk about him. Yeah, but he's guilty by association, my friend. Uh, Let's jump into the first question from someone in NorCal. This is John from Oakland. I'm really excited to hear what uh, your take on this uh, question is, Gerard. Hello, Hello. two-star podcast. Well, after several days wallowing in collective USC fan self-pity and the realization of a 7-5 and five season, and even 6-6 six and six given how Riley's team looked against Utah, it's time to move on to the future in the Big Ten. Definitely very glad to never again have to play Utah and see its insufferable, close-minded fan base, who I hate that state, but I digress again. USC has been terrible at getting top-tier linemen offense and defense out of high school and relying on troubled players. I don't agree on the troubled uh, adjective there. Players from the transfer portal, a poor substitute for finding young talent and turning them into NFL-caliber linemen. NIL has flipped high school recruiting on its head with top players making monetary demands just to visit, visit an interested school. Judging high schooler talent, especially linemen still growing and physically immature, is very dubious. While there's no way to have an NFL-style drafting of high school players, but what about a conference-level invitation-only combine? For example, the Big Ten creates four regionals, East, South, Central, and West sites, where top high school players interested in Big Ten schools are invited to a weekend workout in front of the coaching staff of the 18 teams. Activities would be modeled after the NFL Combine. Also, all the Big Ten head coaches agree to not offer any scholarships until after the conference combines have concluded. Making make getting invited to this combine something that high school players see as a special see as special and wouldn't dare demand compensation to attend. Thoughts, John from Oakland, Gerard. What do you think 
about a college uh, conference combine. Well, okay. So first of all, you have college camps that kids true, can true, attend. True. And those college camps, at, uh, there was a certain period of time which they became mega camps. And it wasn't broken down by region, but you had Jim Harbaugh at USC. You had the Florida coaching staff come to USC. You had like six or seven different coaching staffs was come hilarious. to USC to help run the USC camp. That drew more kids, but it also became a bit of a debacle because then you had certain coaching staffs that wanted to recruit at that camp. They tried to use the camp as a chance to basically have like in-home visits with kids. And it was the particular story of the Florida coaching staff coming out. And it wasn't the current coaching staff. It was the previous coaching staff that came out and they invited a bunch of local players that they were recruiting to come meet up with the coaching staff. And then they took a bunch of kids into a classroom and they basically hung out with them. And there was like no coaches there actually at the camp helping run the camp. So USC was very pissed off and they were trying to get compliance involved. And it was a whole thing that went on. And in general, those camps fell apart because there was just too much shenanigans going on. Um, in the past, college coaches were not allowed to offer kids at camps. That was actually a rule, which was a silly rule. I mean, a lot of the coaches are like, well, what's what's going on? The kids actually had to leave campus and then come back to campus or leave campus and call the coaches to get offered a scholarship, which I think, you know, I, I understand the spirit of not having camps be recruiting events, having camps just be instructional events so that there was no pressure there to. Are we good? Are we okay? We're good. I was getting some ice. Okay, we're going to make it? Okay, good. Um, I'm going to yeah, make it. We're, we're not having those events with the pressure of actually recruiting. And so what they had to do was, like, go off campus, wink, wink, and then come back on campus. And then now it's an unofficial visit. That's just silly. That's dumb. That's That's, you know. And how are you going to enforce that anyways? How do you know that kid actually left campus and then came back on campus to have a visit with the coaching staff, then to be recruited and offered a scholarship? Let's just let's stop with that kind of shenanigans and, you know, just let the coaches do what they can do now, which is offer the kids after the camp. Fine. You want to recruit them? Fine. There's no way. Again, rules are not good rules if you cannot enforce them. If at face value, it's just like that's impossible to enforce. That's not a good rule. That's, that's not you have to change something the way you're doing it. You can't just throw rules out there that are not going to be enforceable. So from that standpoint of, you know, you can't offer a scholarship. Or you can't recruit a kid until after the camp is over or the camps are over. That's tough. That's a, that's a, it's difficult to, to really um, implement. And again, having camps where you have all these coaches there, whether they're running the camps or not, because we can go back to the Nike camps. The Nike camps were a lot like this. They were regional camps. It was a tour. They used to have them on college campuses, and college coaches could actually attend them. So we would have the Los Angeles Nike camp at USC. It was always at USC. College coaches would stream in, 
in some, it, it was at one point you could have uh, at some point uh, head coaches there, but then it became just assistant coaches. So you'd have a bunch of assistant coaches there, and then you would have one at in Northern California would be at Stanford, and so you would have the you know like six coaches from USC go up there. You'd have all the coaches from Oklahoma. You'd have a bunch of coaches there, and they would be there, and there would be some recruiting going on on the low because obviously you have parents that are on the sidelines and the parents want to get their kids, you know, recruited and they want to meet these coaches. And so there was the sort of bump rule, but you can't really talk to them. And there was stuff that went on and the NCAA eventually said, listen, we can't have compliance people and uh, the COI people, um, the, the committee of uh, enforcement uh, or committee on infractions, I should say, attending these events to try to make sure that there are no college coaches talking to parents or talking to kids, et cetera. So they basically just banned college coaches from being able to attend events. And then they basically banned the camps from being on college campuses altogether. So it, 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 it fell apart. So th there was at one time something similar to that uh, in terms of combines and in terms of evaluation where the coaches were able to see a lot more in person. And these days they don't, these days, they really only get to see in person uh, practices of those players uh, during May evaluation periods and during that January evaluation period, or maybe the week or two where you have a bye week during the season, you're able to go to a game, which is very limited, obviously. You're not getting to see a whole bunch of kids, not like you used to at the Nike camp. Nike camp, you could see 200 guys, and there'd be 300 there, and there might be you know 20 guys 30 guys that you're recruiting actively and you get to see them all in one bunch. And so there's definitely a lot more shots in the dark when it comes to evaluations, which I don't think is a good thing. The other aspect of this, which is suggested is these kids would come to these combines and these events, no questions asked. Nobody would dare ask for money. Uh, that's not true. These kids don't go to these events anymore because so many scholarships come so early now that these kids get a bunch of scholarships. They don't want to go to a camp and look bad. Uh, the Under Armour camps are still a thing, and they still have a combine session, and then they have the regular camp. A lot of guys skip or have their, their times crossed out, and so they're not going to colleges. Um, there's a lot of guys that just don't show up to the camp altogether. You know, the past few years – it's been more top guys not being at the camp that are on the roster than guys that are actually showing up. So it's become more about getting the young, young guys on your campus for the summer camps that are run by the college coaches. So that's tough because you're talking about 2027, 2026, the class of 2024 is not represented at all. The last two summers where USC has had elite camps, they've been anything but. If you're looking at the 2024 class or the current class that's being recruited, there's very few guys that have scholarship offers from USC in those classes that have attended any of those camps. The majority of those kids that showed up to those camps are young freshmen and sophomores, which is good to get on them early but bad because you're not going to see those kids for the next two years. They're going to go there for camp. They're going to get offered as a sophomore or, or maybe even a freshman. And then they're like, okay, I've got 
12, 14 scholarship offers from schools, I'm good. And they disappear. You don't see them at any – you maybe see them in some seven-on-seven seven tournaments, which is kind of another pay-for-play type thing, and there's NLM involved and blah, blah, blah. So that, that, that sort of is something that, that goes along with that as well, the travel squads. And some of these travel squads now are really built up as NIL uh, – guidance programs if you will you know they go they do college tours uh they get these kids uh they they take care of their room and their board going to all these different colleges flying around and they take part in tournaments and they're also at the same time uh, being advised from an nil standpoint so that's where you're able to get some of these top players to come out because you're dangling the NIL carrot in front of them saying, hey, listen, we can help negotiate deals with you, navigate NIL, give you some advisement. And by the way, you, you don't have to pay anything up front. You can go and jump on a plane. We'll pay for it. You, 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 we'll take you in a nice bus and we'll drive around to these events. We'll go to all these different colleges. You see colleges you never be able to see on your own. You know, we just want to kind of be there when you turn pro and negotiate a deal and we'll be involved there. But, yeah, until then, no, no big deal. You don't owe us any money. That, that that's These are these programs that are popping up now. And that's really the only reason why you see some of these top players attend some of these events. So, unfortunately, NIL is here. And if you – regardless of whether you had Lincoln Riley and Jim Harbaugh and Ryan Day there – uh, you would see a better turnout, but you still would see a lot of guys not show up. You'd still have a combine. I mean, especially if it was a combine, you're not going to see those to, to those rising seniors there. They're not going to show up because they don't want to go there and run a bad 40 time and then lose scholarships. That's that's which college football has kind of become, which is not a good thing. It's not because a good thing. A, for they have a 4-3 on their, their huddle and they're going to run a 4-8 at the combine. Yeah, yeah, there's some, you know, time that they may, maybe they ran a time, maybe they didn't. I, I don't know. They just get scholarship offers, and then other schools are like, wow, look at the scholarship offers we got. Uh, we should offer them too, and, you know, it, it's that's what ends up happening. So they're paper tigers um, that get uh, these scholarship offers and get rankings, and then when it comes time to, like, well, who are you competing against? Like, what do you – how did you get that ranking, and how are you going to prove it? Uh, kids are not up for that anymore. The parents – are really the ones that are that are like, oh, you know, no, 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 no. What are you gaining out of that? I, I hear that all the time. What do you have to gain by going to this camp or that camp? What do you have to gain from it? And <laughs> so, I mean, what do you have to gain by going to some combine if you're a, a senior or even a junior? If you're an upperclassman in high school and you've got the rankings, you've got the offers, you're not showing up to some combine for the Big Ten. Hell no. You you end up running a, a four seven and and everybody thinks that you're a four five guy, high four four guy. They're too scared, you know, to do that. So even like with the All-American Bowl and you've got that combine, again, there's a lot of young kids that are going to that and they're just trying to get their their names on the map. But once they get into being like a sophomore going in their junior year, if they've got that success, then they fade. And it's it's a little bit of guesswork as to, well, did this guy actually get better in the last two years? I mean, I know we offered him as a sophomore, but shoot, we haven't seen him on campus run a 40 or, or do individual drills or anything since then. So that's something that, um, I, like from an NIL standpoint, the schools, if you allow them to do something from a swag standpoint or a payment standpoint, if you're allowed to have like sponsorships 
from actual brands. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm putting this out here and there's all kinds of issues potentially with it that would, you know, somebody would just use it to exploit getting kids and you know what I mean? But if you had that carrot to dangle and say, show up to this comment, because with the NFL comment, it's a big, it's a different, those guys are playing for rookie contracts. Those guys are playing for draft. They're playing for millions of dollars. So they have incentive to go down there and run. And even then you, you see some guys not run. Some guys don't want to go down and they don't want to, Oh, I got an injury or something. And it's like, yeah, it's better for me and my stock right now, not to go out there. Um, but, if there was some type of financial incentive to go um, or if you reverse engineered it and it was like, you can't offer, see, they're letting the schools offer kids and evaluate kids even earlier. Now they're going ass backwards with it. If there was something that was like, you can't offer a kid a scholarship until the like, spring of his junior year you couldn't offer him a scholarship until the may evaluation period of his junior year that would change some things because now all of a sudden these guys have to go out there and play for scholarships all the way up until their junior year you can't get a scholarship in the seventh grade you can't get a scholarship in the sixth grade it's a nonsense you're you're evaluating a sixth grader you're going to tell me that he's scholarship worthy get that get out of here man you don't know what that kid's going to look like by the time he's graduating high school if the ncaa stepped in and said all right, no, no more scholarship offers, no more verbal scholarship, no, nothing. You cannot tell a kid, if you, if you say to a, a, a student athlete before May of his junior year, we want to offer you a scholarship, that's a violation. That would change things a bit. Then I think you would see more upperclassmen potentially showing up for camps. Because there just be no scholarship offers out there early on. And these kids are, I mean, that's still a big deal for them, a scholarship offer. The thing is, right now, they're not, it's not a big deal because everybody offers. And you and I know that those scholarship offers don't really mean a whole lot. These kids don't know. These parents don't know. They think they got scholarship offers from all these schools. They think that you can come in as a freshman in high school and then the, the, the college is somehow going to uh, respect that and, and, and live up to that verbal commitment. If you go out and you you have a crappy year and you're bad, man, you're gonna get processed. They're gonna, they're gonna nah, you know what? Uh, we, we, we don't have the numbers we thought we did three years ago when we offered you scholarship and you committed. So, I mean, in reality, the scholarship offers really don't mean a whole lot, but if you actually made it to the point where the schools couldn't offer those scholarships until like junior, like summer, junior year, June, you would have, you know, you would have way, way more guys that were juniors showing up to camps. Cause that's when you, that's the first time you can actually get a scholarship. I don't know why they're not doing that instead of, Oh no. Yeah. You can go ahead and evaluate and offer a kid as a freshman. Now, now you have more evaluation time, more evaluation time when kids are younger and it's, it's not good evaluation. It's good to, I mean, it's good to get your eyeballs and to see who's kind of who at that point, but it's real cursory. You you don't really know who's going to be a dude until they get to the end of their junior year. Then you start to go, okay, this this guy's developed and he's getting better. And yeah, we saw him early on. Now he's a better player. Now he's you know got another year. Yeah, let's go on him. But it's it, and it's a rat race too to see who makes a good first impression. So oh yeah, we offered him in the fourth in the fourth grade. Oh, well, that's that's fantastic. And you're just hoping, crossing your fingers, because it's non-binding, that, oh, yeah, the kid ends up being good. <laughs> and you can sit there and go, well, we're the first one to offer you. Not that that usually has that whole much, a lot of sway, but still, 
it's something that you can do as a salesman, sell sales pitches to say, hey, you know, when you stand out, because we were the first, we believed in you first. You would, you would barely could ride a bike, but we knew you could play football at the next level. Gerard, we're going to move on to a question from. Was I cooking? Was I cooking? Yeah, Did I get you, to a nine, you, nine two, nine two. Can I get a nine two? No, you got to an eight, eight, no. eight point eight. Easy, watch it, buddy. That's still that's watch still a powerful earthquake. That's still a powerful earthquake. Doc, Doctor Espinosa is going to be uh, blowing up my phone if you surpass that nine. We have a question from Composite Two Star Podcast Royalty Joan Levis. Uh, this year's team is what I expected last year. The end of last season, the Pac-12 Championship and the Cotton Bowl were just precursors to today. Let's face it, Riley was handed a complete and utter collapse in a program. Still, our defense is inexcusable and so horrible to watch. Preach. I believe this team Preach. is more talented than last year's, but the defensive coordinator, linebackers coach, and secondary coaching is abysmal. Sorry, Dante. I was a big believer but he doesn't have his players playing. Oh, we good took a turn there. Football. We took. I thought we were going down Pumper's Lane, but we took a turn. No, it's suspect to me that Corey Foreman has not been developed either, as last year's talent was apparent. But he never got enough reps. My worry is this: we have not recruited well this year on either side, but not really worried about the offense. Defense. How will that change with the high probability of a new coordinator and staff on that side of the ball? If we use nil money. We will speed up the process, and we can compete in the in the market. What are your thoughts on the, that? And besides winning and development, which aren't great right now, what can USC do? Shout out to your sponsor, Meredith, Meredith Schlosser. She's the best. Thanks, Gerard and Chris. You guys are the best, too. Never miss a show. Gerard gives the best analysis of the game, and that's Joan Levis, class of 81, who helped us get the official sponsor, Meredith Schlosser, so she is royalty around here, and I always will take her question. So a lot in there to chew on, Gerard, but I guess the main point of that is how will defensive recruiting change if they get a new coordinator and staff? We just had a sponsor read from a question in the podcast. There you go. We've we've had – Three there sponsor reads. We had two Meredith Schlosser ones and a Mucinex one. So let's <laughs> let's yeah. let's go. Mucinex was the middle. Be big money in, in Mucinex there, buddy. Big money, babies. Throw some of that Mucinex money. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, kind of stripping down the question to, you know, how much can USC gain in having a new defensive staff? And obviously, it's very dependent on who you're bringing in and. The NIL is still open-ended because I think from a philosophical standpoint, a strategy standpoint, USC is still of the mind that you don't want to reach for high school kids and throw money at high school kids. And they really are pushing more towards the portal with that, feeling as though those are more proven commodities and are certainly players that are expected to come in and contribute earlier. So, you know, we're in year two at this point, and we're getting these data points and looking at the performances of various different transfers, comparing that with what USC is getting from some of the high school players that they've recruited. And certainly with guys like Zachariah Branch, he's he's contributing right away and he's got more eligibility. And with the player like that, 
I think it's safe to say that you can build more around him than you could a similar player, let's say Jordan Addison, who had a great game here just recently, the Vikings versus 49ers. You know, he's in and he's out, and he's a great player, and he made some great plays for USC, but you can't really build culture around Jordan Addison. I mean, he's just not going to be on campus long enough for that to happen. So with the high school kids, certainly from that standpoint, it does warrant potential NIL. And on the flip side, and we're still, again, gathering data. We're still trying to look at this, you know, big picture and then kind of the individual specifics of each player. How are these guys that you're bringing in through the porthole contributing and producing? And is it really the smarter way to go because it's working better? The production and the results are ultimately going to tell the tale on that. So you have instances where you bring in a guy like Bear Alexander. I think most would say that was a good pickup. And that's a player that's probably better than most of the defensive linemen that you could have picked up in the prior class. You know, just because you throw some NIL money at a high school player doesn't mean that you're not going to be outbid. It doesn't mean you're going to land that player. But that was one that certainly worked for USC. Then you could look at maybe Dorian Singer and say, well, okay, you know, is that one that has worked out for USC? It was that investment. Uh, Did it come to fruition the way that they'd hoped? And we obviously don't know what the investment was financially from that standpoint, but certainly he has not had the impact that Zachariah Branch has had. Um, you know, you, you, those are the things that you're looking, you're comparing uh, the high school player coming out. That's the five-star guy. Cause obviously you're not going to offer a bunch of money to a high school kid. That's, you know, there probably wouldn't be too many instances where you're like, Oh, there's a three-star guy that we really like. You know, well, what's the NIL situation? Because because there, there is a bit of a war chest, and you're 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 going off of what you have to offer, and so there's only so much money that's going to go around. You've got to divvy it up, and you've got to figure out, okay, what's our need positions? What are the value positions? You know, what do we have for this? What do we have for that? So to speak. And if you look at it that way, you say, well, okay, Caleb Williams was, was probably going to get quite a bit of money from an NIL situation. Now he's in a unique situation because he is more of a brand NIL uh, asset. He comes to USC and I'm sure there was a good NIL deal that was put in place for him, but he's also at a position and certainly a good enough player where beats and Powerade and all these other big brands are, are going to actually probably make up more of what he can make earnings wise than just the donors at USC. So that's something to consider with him off the payroll, if you will. Uh, that's going to maybe open up some things for USC to, to, to maneuver. Um, now, are you going for that at the quarterback position or do you go back to the defensive line? You try to double down and and get another barrel Alexander, um, you know, ha- has that really worked maybe at other positions? You know, we haven't seen much from Keon Bars. Uh, we haven't seen as much from Jack Sullivan. We have only seen some of Anthony Lucas. Now, it's not to say that those guys are busts or they're not going to live up to expectations, but just at this point, I think 
expectation wise, while there's a long term expectation and hope, there is with the transfers the immediate expectation that they come in and they're able to play and make an impact immediately because they're older they're older players that are already acclimated to college. Whereas again, that's a little more of the risk factor with the high school athlete because he's younger and there's I mean there's even grade things and there's other things that are off the field that you have to worry about. So that strategy, if you're going to make this big pivot and NIL has anything to do with it as a factor, they're going to have to change that approach altogether. Because just right now, the approach is not to do it from the high school ranks. So there's that to keep in mind. Now, again, going back to who you bring in, that's one of the most important things because you can go after a defensive coordinator that's more like Clancy Pendergast. Clancy Pendergast was a complete hands-off recruiting type of guy. He's like, look at position coaches, go out and do your thing. I'm going to be here. You want to bring guys in for visits? I'll sit with them. We'll go through meetings. We'll go through film. I'll do some of my in-homes. But when it comes to May evaluations and it comes to going out on the road, like, I mean, at one point during the Clay Helton era, and I really think this was, you know, kind of where you saw Clay Helton kind of over his head. Clay Helton really, really worked to try to get Clancy back. He didn't have a lot of options. And so, he was a coach there under Lane Kiffin when Clancy was the defensive coordinator. So he had some of a relationship with Clancy and he went up there and, and you know, he begged Clancy to come down to be the defensive coordinator and he was able to get him. But I think Clancy made it very clear. I don't want to recruit. Like I'm an NFL guy. I'm just, I'm not out there to recruit. And at one point Clancy, I think had seven road trips and the office coordinator at that point was T Martin and T Martin had like 22. And so T was a recruiter and even as an offensive coordinator and that stripped some of his recruiting reach because when you're a coordinator and this is some of the thing that you have to kind of think about, you've got more on your plate and making sure first and foremost that your scheme is sound and that your assistant coaches are all on the same uh, page and you, you're, you're, you're organizing things from the standpoint that your players understand what the scheme is and the terminology is. And we've seen at different times that not always be the case. It does not look like the case now. You see a lot of instances where the players look lost. You've seen more instances than I can ever remember of a USC defense where you just had really bad one-on-one matchups. I have never seen a USC defense have more bad one-on-one matchups in a season than this season. Instances where you've got Braylon Shelby, freshman rush end, 245 pounds, one-on-one against a running back on a swing pass, you know, 30 yards downfield. That's that's not a good instance. And that's instance we've seen more, more than one occasion. And that's not a good sign. So, you know, going all the way back to, to Clancy one and then Clancy two, going back to Monty Kiffin. I mean, I think that was one, a great example of you had Lane Kiffin there. You had Monty as a defensive coordinator. You also had Joe Barry on the coaching staff when Lane Kiffin was the head coach at USC. And from everything that I gathered, Joe was the Monty whisperer. He was the one that was able to kind of take what Monty was saying schematically and what he was trying to convey and translate it for the players. And when Lane decided not to promote him to be D.C., 
and kept Monty there, that translator left. And you basically had Monty kind of trying to teach his defense and, and guys were confused. That's the last time I've seen guys like this confused. And really, it's still not even at the same level. But that was one where even some of the assistant coaches on that staff had, had said things to me that they're like, I don't know, this is like a weird way of doing things, man. We have never really been a part of a coaching staff. We've tried to teach our players the way that that Monty tries to teach his players. And so we're at this place where do you want a teacher? Do you want a guy that is – a really good sound fundamental coach, but he's not going to be necessarily a great recruiter. Or do you want a guy more like Tosh Lapoy, who is a great recruiter, but is not necessarily known as being like this big X's and O's guy. So you could go get Tosh Lapoy away from Oregon for sure. Tosh would take the, the, the pay bump and he would take being the guy at defensive corner. Cause right now he's under Dan Lanning and Dan Lanning is calling a lot of the plays. And that's always something you have to be wary of. Uh, when you're going after a coordinator, you, you don't want to necessarily go after an offensive coordinator where the head coach is the play caller and he was a former offensive coordinator. Because then you got to really question how much of this scheme is is really this coach's is, and it's not the head coach's. Same thing with the defensive side of the ball. If you've got a defensive coordinator who is coaching under a coach who was a former defensive coordinator and his fingerprints are all over the scheme that they run, you got to wonder, okay, how much is he actually contributing to the success of that defense? So that would be something where with Lincoln Riley being an offensive guy, I mean, you could go after a guy that was just a mega recruiter, but then you have, you, you have the question, okay, are we just going to try to out talent people on the defensive side of the ball? Or do we want a guy that's going to be more of a coach and maybe we don't get all the top recruits, but we develop our players. I mean, obviously in a perfect world, you want both. But when names like Jim uh, Leonard get thrown out there, um, I don't know that Jim Leonard's going to be like some amazing recruiter. And it doesn't necessarily – he has to be. I mean, your assistant coaches can can do the majority of legwork there, but still it's, it's sort of like how do you want to divvy that up? And how you do that is ultimately going to be the end result in recruiting as to whether it's going to really turn, make a big turn – or it's just going to be kind of this thing, well, we're going to see what they're able to do next year. I mean, there's a lot of names out there that people mention that don't really reverberate with recruits. They're not going to really know these names and know, oh, well, he coached here in NFL. Okay, cool. It's always great to get an NFL guy because you can always use that as a trump card. It's like Dan Landing's up there smoking his cigars. Like, All right, I was there with Georgia and won a national championship. And you bring in somebody from the NFL, are like – what Georgia, bro? I was in the NFL. I, I was coaching at the highest level where you want to be. And these are the guys that I coached. And so you can have that kind of sort of success. That was always the great thing with Pete Carroll. Yeah, he was a failure as a head coach in the NFL initially, but he was still a hell of a defensive coordinator. And the guy, I mean, he coached Ken Norton. He had all kinds of names he could throw out there. And you couldn't get another coach come in and say, well, I know more than this guy, or I've coached at a higher level. You didn't coach at a higher level. This guy was a defensive coordinator for Super Bowl teams. He's got a Super Bowl ring. You, you don't get higher level than that. So that that's always something that that could help on the recruiting trail. When you've got rings and you've got certain successes and you've been a certain player at a certain level and you can relate that to these recruits. Like, listen, I've been where you want to be. So, you know, you come and you part of, you're part of this defense 
this is how we're going to do things and i'm going to develop you for the highest level instead of well this is a real good college scheme and we're going to be able to get you success here and there by doing this and that it's like eh, it sounds great but you know i want to get to the nfl and so i want to play in a defense just like with a lot of guys want to play in offenses but you know i want to play in a defense that is going to prepare me for the next level so that can have a huge impact on how they're going to be able to recruit who they bring in you know how many guys do you want to hold over do you want to have anybody on the defensive staff that you want to keep around you know sometimes that helps with recruiting Pete Carroll kept Ed Erdron around from a previous staff because, you know, Ed was a recruiting coordinator. Ed had a good feel for recruiting. And Ed early on kind of showed that he could do that uh, with, with Sean Cody and being able to land him. You know, that was a big coup for USC. So is there somebody on that defensive staff that can actually do that where, you know, you, you've shown that from a recruiting standpoint, you have enough value where it's like, okay, let's keep this guy around. So we keep our foot in the door with some of the better players that you're recruiting right now. We don't have to start all over. Granted, you can bring in a college staff that's like, hey, we're going to bring in this coordinator and he's going to bring in three or four of his own guys. And they're at a school that's recruiting really well right now. There's a lot of different ways where it could go. I would say to answer the question, ultimately, I wouldn't expect like this snap turnaround because Personally, I think if there's any moves that are made with the coaching staff, they're going to happen at the end of the year. And they happen at the end of the year. There's not enough time Mm -hmm. for that to be flipped where you're going to see this huge impact or influx of defensive players. In fact, you may lose more good players with that and they don't have relationships anymore. Then you're actually going to pick guys up. So we'll see how that goes. But you might end up really having, again, use the portal more and maybe even not even the first window, but the second window, which, you know, how much does that take the defense back? I can tell you they'll lose some guys potentially if they keep this staff in 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 order intact. Um, but is there going to be guys that are like, you know, going to be impact players for USC next year? That's, you know, another different argument. But um, you might be able to retain more guys. It just really depended because the thing is, if you don't have guys hired, it's and there's always going to be more temptation for those kids to jump in the portal. You're going to have players that are going to be going, they're going to hear it from every angle. Like, dude, they don't even have a defensive coordinator right now. Like, well, you got to go. Like, yeah. We know that you didn't like the past defense coordinator or the past coaches and now they're gone, but that doesn't mean you're going to like the guys they are going to bring in. So that uncertainty nowadays, guys will jump into the portal. And maybe if you hire somebody quick enough, you know, you're able to keep them. And our final questions comes from Rich and SD, who always gives uh, at least a two-parter. My salsa needed more cilantro on Saturday. That's probably why they lost. So he has a question for you, and he has a question for me. I'll start with my question. CT, the question has to be asked now more than ever. What comes first, Grinch being hired away as a future head coach to a dismal program next year, or Lincoln Riley coming to terms and telling him to kick rocks? If I have to pick one of those two options, I would choose the latter Lincoln Riley telling him to, quote unquote, kick rocks, because I just don't think that there's a school out there that's going to hire Grinch to be their head coach. Now, of course, maybe it's like a D2 FCS school like Monmouth is like, hey, come be our head coach. I think that would be a solution that Lincoln Riley would like because then he doesn't have to, quote unquote, fire his uh, D.C. slash friend Alex Grinch. But if I had to pick one of those two, I would say 
Lincoln Riley telling him to kick rocks before he is hired as a head coach at another program. Gerard, your question is, how do future edge rushers feel about a guy like Braylon Shelby being used as a quote-unquote nickel? Do you feel like that would scare other future potential targets away from this Grinch scheme? Since we're on the D-line, not staying... Uh, I'm a little confused by the phrasing of this. Since we're, I, I feel like he's saying, since we're on the D-line, uh, not staying committed to rush lanes and secondary, taking bad angles constantly, needs to clean up that last sentence. I'm not sure what he's asking there. So let's just stick with the first one. Does Braylon Shelby playing cornerback scare off other potential future potential targets from this scheme? I like how he's gone from being a rush end to a nickel to a corner. <laughs> Cornerback Braylon Shelby. Being asked to do things that are not normally asked of uh, such players, I think is a, uh, the point. Uh, it does not do you well to hang your players out to dry in situations which they are not well equipped. You want to set your players up for success. And mm-hmm. so – Yes, that is a very emblematic uh, – Those both of those situations where Braylon Shelby ended up one-on-one downfield against a running back. The really bad thing is that, yes, it happened in the first quarter and it gave up a touchdown, but it happened again in the fourth quarter. So not only are we seeing a bad matchup in the beginning of the game, we're seeing a matchup that there was no adjustment to trying to improve – that match of trying to improve USC being able to defend that particular play, which is why we kind of joke about Jade Knott, because Jade Knott on the swing pass is something that is in Cal's arsenal and they've actually used quite a bit. And I'm sure they're going to try it out against USC. So they couldn't get it adjusted by halftime. Maybe they get adjusted uh, this week in practice. But nevertheless, to answer the question, it's not a good look. It's not a good look for Braylon. It doesn't help with his confidence. And it's really not his fault. Just like when you see Romello Height and he's 10 yards off the line of scrimmage and he's, you know, five yards uh, into the numbers and the hashes guarding a curl route on second and one with 28 seconds left in the half. That is not a strength. Uh, I don't know if you're trying to surprise somebody. You're looking for some particular route or something. You think you've got a gotcha moment. It just didn't work out. And certainly we've seen some of that with the second level of the defense. The peristyle has tried every combination. There's been an argument for every combination of linebacker. The pattern is that it doesn't matter. Every linebacker that they've had, despite being a former All-American, despite being a all-conference linebacker, young, old, Maybe injured, maybe not. (laughs) The combination has been unsuccessful. Every one of those linebackers has looked bad. They have been in positions where they just have looked slow, confused, taking bad angles. And it's it's very much reiterating that the scheme is not working. And again, I'm not that guy to say that anybody should be fired. I let you guys opine about that. And certainly the administration will have their own decision and, and their own opinions on that. And ultimately, it's going to be on Lincoln Riley, and he's going to have to decide what he wants to do. All I'm here to do is paint the picture and analyze and talk about what has actually happened and maybe why it happened and 
maybe why it's not working or why it is working. But in this situation, when you look at Brandon Shelby, who I believe is going to be a fantastic player for USC, I still have very high hopes for him. I just don't think that he's going to be able to do that very often. And I don't think that's necessarily um, something that uh, he's going to be asked to do at the next level. Um, I could see if there was a safety over the top, you know, and you, you, you make that some kind of like a, almost like a cover two or there's some type of man under coverage, but yeah, one-on-one against the running back. It's just uh, any running back, quite frankly, you, you've got a 245 pound uh, defensive end rush end, and he's at the line of scrimmage flat footed. The thing that makes it really, really difficult. Having played that position myself, just in high school, just in high school, you're flat footed and you've got a guy running at you. So what you would like to do as a defender is have that player in front of you and get your hands on that player to impede his route as soon as possible. The sooner, the better. The sooner you can jam and reroute, the better. And in this case, you're not rerouting because it's man covered. So you have to guard them. You've got to slow them down. You cannot give them a running start. So not only are you asking Braylon Shelby to run with somebody in man, which, you know, against the tight end, that would be a matchup that I wouldn't necessarily try to draw up. But to have him one-on-one against a running back that is already running, and he's already got a head start, and you could have put him in space, and then you're going to put your 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 defensive end against him. There was another play where uh, Sione Vaki ended up against uh, uh, Eric Gentry. And he did a little chair ride, a little Texas route. And that's a really, really difficult thing to ask of a linebacker. First and foremost, Eric Gentry still doesn't look healthy to me. But he's looking at that route. And it might have just been an option route where Sione Vaki could have taken him with, with, with the swing route. But he just made a move outside and he cut back inside. And then he's you know basically running a slant at that point. That's just really difficult for that linebacker to be able to, to cover one-on-one. It's certainly a little easier ask. It's a lot easier to ask than to have Brandon Shelby do it. But again, that's another situation where it's like, are you really drawing that up? Like that's that's your go-to. That's what you expect of your players to to make that play. I mean, that's that's asking a lot. So, yeah, I think um, it's it's not something that you want on film, and it's something that kids see. They're looking at a guy like Brandon Shelby, like, oh, freshman's playing like that. They're always jazzed up about that because they want to play as true freshman. And then you see, you know, how they're doing, you know, even with Tackett Curtis, there's a lot of film of him. He's, he's growing, growing pains. You know, there's a lot of just taking bad angles and missing. And, and it's like, that's not what you want. You want to set your players up for success, especially the younger guys. They're going to have their, their, their moments, you know, where they have brain farts and they, they get locked up and they don't know what they're doing. But this has been a season long of just guys just swimming. And, and it's not just the freshmen. I mean, it's even some of the guys that are, you know, like we, we see, you know, against uh, San Jose State, you know, where you've got this inverted cover two nonsense and Max Williams and Damani Jackson are there and they, they, they look like they were freshmen. It's uh, again, pattern. And so uh, it's not, yeah, a good thing. And um, it's not going to help USC recruit putting your guys out there and hanging them out to dry. And Gerard, that is going to get us through another episode of Composite Recruits. Through, baby. I even cut some stuff, and we still flirted with three hours. Gerard, you maxed out there at an 8.8 for this episode. Very well done. Nice. 
nines. Dr. Espinosa is going to be very, very happy. I don't give up nines that easy. Yeah, you're like all... the Eastern Bloc ref, you know. You're like the, the judge in gymnastics or uh, is uh, diving. I'm the Slovakian uh, coach. Yeah. 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 Yeah, who won back in uh, 73 when it was the Soviets. Yeah, I got it. I got it. But, yeah, you didn't get a nine today, and that's good. And that's good. That's what we wanted. You didn't cook too much. You didn't cook too hard. So, Gerard, that is going to end another episode of this little long podcast that we like to call the Composite Two-Star Recruits. I hope someone can leave us a five-star review because I'd love to read one on our next episode Gerard, you do owe me. I got love for coach. If so, if you could please uh, get that out of the way as our final point of uh, duty on our list to do. So go ahead and knock that out for me. Give me a little five second window. Not a five second. Just give me a little break there so I can uh, cut that cleanly. Hashtag. I got love for coach. And there we are. And there we are. A perfect. I got love for coach. So hopefully I have that in the rotation for sound bites next time. And we will catch you next time on composite two-star recruits. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.